This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to ya. Welcome to the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this program to help you get a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. Good morning. Another Monday. Starting it out. I already feel like I'm losing my voice. Yeah. You, did you have a rough weekend? What, what were you doing? What did I do? Well, every... Yes. Saturday, I had two baseball games and two basketball games to watch. And that's just two children. But you didn't actually play or participate. You just sat and watched. I screamed. Oh, you screamed. Okay. Yeah. Maybe get that's the it. ball! Shoot! Are you, that, are you that type of parent? Do you really get into it and no. start? No? No. You just sit quietly and I usually sit play quietly. on your phone? I usually listen to my, <laughs> I listen to my, my phone. My, uh, my phone. I, I just listen to music. Okay. Because then I get too wrapped up. When I get too excited, and there's a lot of really aggressive dads. Yes. And they make me, they stress me out. So if I put my headset in, I just listen to like Enya. <laughs> it's pitiful. Actually, no, every Saturday I end up buying like 10 new songs. Okay. Is, is anybody buying music anymore? Because uh, a lot of people I think mean, I'm crazy, but I keep buying. I just keep finding my favorite songs. I think there's higher percentages streaming now. Yeah, versus the because you can kind of curate your own list. Can so you? you can kind of have your you own. Can listen to I could listen songs. to any song I want to anytime. You have to pay the extended service fees, but yes. Are people doing that? Quite a bit. Am I in the dark ages? Yeah, pretty much. It's so much better. You just have to pay like. What is like seven dollars a month, and you can listen to any song that's out there, anytime you want. Anytime I mean, you want, you set up your own playlists. So you can specifically find them quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and then you don't have to waste. But then you time don't own it. Owning it, but wouldn't you want to own it? Well, I mean, you listen to it for like two months, and it's like, eh, moving on. And it's that's on YouTube, true. right? Yeah. Oh, jeez. That's that's where it's I going. spent ten dollars Saturday. Yeah. But I did get a few ZZ Top songs. Sure. Which I'm just in love with ZZ Top. Right. You need a ZZ Top beard. <laughs> okay. No, that'd be great. I mean, next, be long... next week, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to on a trip. Grow a three-foot beard I'm in grow a, week. a beard. I could grow a really nice beard. We can get week. you one of those rigs where your guitar can spin at your waist like they have. Be <laughs> awesome. But see, for me, it's like I, I only pick my favorite songs. So anything on my phone, it's just I'd love any song. What? Uh, give me some names. What are some groups that I could go do that streaming? What the, services? Yeah, give like me a service. Spotify. Oh, really? There's one right on your phone with Apple. It's in your music player. They do that? Yes. Man, where have I been? <laughs> look at your look at your phone. And I thought I was all tech savvy. No, you're not. Not at all. You're a dad. I can't even get my computer to work <laughs> okay well that's depressing uh, i thought i had a great weekend but apparently well, you, you did well financially i'm down ten dollars well it's fine i mean you can have you can have your own music that's still a thing now you just have to have oh but then you have to stream space. see that's the other thing then you stream so then you use more of your data that's streaming too. okay unless well, it's on wi-fi actually because they also part of the service is that you can 
if you have like oh. a premium membership, download it to your phone and then you don't need a oh connection. My God. This is yeah. like an advertisement for these streaming companies. Maybe. Could be. Anyway, brought to you, uh, our first segment today brought to you by, I guess, iTunes, Spotify. Could be. Your streaming music company of choice. Yeah. Whichever one you Insert want. Insert your streaming company here. Yes. Hey, um, graduation season, which is really stressful for parents because I sit here and all I seem to be going to are more and more events for my child that's graduating. Okay. And every time I sit there, so grateful he's graduating. Just getting out? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm so grateful. <laughs> I just want to break down in tears every event. See, some are sad that it's over. We're just grateful he's That graduating. it's over. Yeah. Now, it's because of your son. And yeah. Not necessarily the experience, but- He's had a great experience. Your son is, fit, is done. You're, you're done trying to get your son to this point. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. I get that. My wife is done. We're tight. We're done. We're done getting- Grades for our kids. <laughs> We're done. We're done fighting faculty. We're done. And he's like, I, so people are like, so where are you going to college? And I just look at him. And I'm like, let's not even go to college. We'll get, we'll get there. You know what? <laughs> School's overrated. Whenever. <laughs> just take a break. Just <laughs> get a job. Mom and dad enjoy yourself. Break. Anyway, congrats to all the grads and the parents that got them there. Any uh, news? So if I've read this correctly, the Patriot Act is no more. Yeah, I guess it expired. The controversial National Security Surveillance Program that allowed the government to collect bulk phone data expired at 12.01 a.m. Monday. So we are no longer patriots. Well, we're not under the Patriot Act. Patriotless. Which means that if you allow all of your data to be collected by the government, you're a patriot. Yeah, that seems like, that seems weird. Yeah. It seems like we were sold. They were trying to replace it with the USA Freedom Act. Well, you'd think you'd want to be free. Right. Except, again, they were going to collect your data, so this under, time through the phone company. So let me make sure I understand this. So under the Patriot Act, yes. they collect your data in order to be a good patriot following 9-11. That's how you, you know, we got to kill terrorists. Yes. So good patriots have all their data collected. Under the Freedom Act, pretty much the Patriot Act light. Yeah. But it's you're, a good way you're, looking you're at free it. because you're free to give all of your information to the NSA. Well, no, they they go to the phone companies. Yeah, yeah. Well, you your, don't even have to do it. Right. The phone company hands over all your information freely. Those are our That's options. That's the Freedom Act because the, they're freely giving all the information they have about you to the NSA. Well, and you're free to like you, you're free from the obligation of having to give it to them. They yeah. can just take it. Yeah, you you freely you freely give. They cut your out rights. the middleman, yeah. which was you. It's That's easy. Great. It's yeah. easy. It's a lot freer. So uh, the Senate Republicans failed to reach a deal for an extension in a okay. seventy-seven to seventeen vote. The Senate voted wow. to voted to instead begin debating a bill passed by the House to overhaul the program, which includes transferring the storage of the data from the government to the phone companies. That's the USA Freedom Act. Yes. So uh, Kentucky Republicans and and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he believes the House bill had some serious flaws, but approved the vote in an attempt to keep the program alive. GOP Senator Rand Paul led the objection, forcing the temporary expiration of parts of the post-9-11 Patriot Act, which allowed the National Security Agency to collect phone records. Mm. Here's Rand Paul with his comments. This would be the cue for the... He sounds quiet. He's quiet. It it began silent. Rand's ticked off. clear why we're here this evening. We are here this evening because this is an important debate. This is a debate over the Bill of Rights. This is a debate over the Fourth Amendment. 
This is a debate over your right to be left alone. And there you go. This is the this is your debate to be free. Be free. In his mind. He's ticked. He's he, not happy. And he's ticking off a lot of people. John McCain G- and he GOP senators not happy with Rand Paul's successful plan to the provision of the to uh like key provisions of the USA Patriot Act to expire Sunday night. The way it had to work was the you had to have a unanimous vote yeah. Sunday night to keep it. And he was alone he wasn't alone to center. There were seventeen. Yeah. But because he was voicing his not he says he's not going to vote for it, the whole meeting was pointless. See, but they did it anyways because you have to go through the But he's process. banking his candidacy on this. He's right. This is his horse. He's riding the, the freedom of surveillance horse. Uh, let's see. John McCain says, I know what this is about. I think it's very clear. This is to some degree a fundraising exercise. <laughs> this is uh, John McCain to Politico. He obviously has a higher priority for his fundraising and political ambitions than for the security of this nation. Wow. Now, some would call McCain a hawk. Yes. And Rand came out against the hawks, saying the hawks of the Republican Party are what basically facilitated ISIS and enabled them to. That's what he said. (laughs) So Rand's taking on the pro-military side of the GOP. Which the two that are voicing a lot of that opinion right now are McCain and then Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. Preparing to announce his... He's entering the dance today. Presidential candidacy today. Hey, did you hear hear about John Kerry? Yeah, he broke his leg. He fell. He crashed a bike. He ran his bike into a curb. Oh, that'll do it. Fell over. This was in France. Oh, so our Secretary of State... Yes. ...was out on a bike ride. Fully clad in his racing spandex suit. Sweet. But was that the Postal Service suit? No. Okay, because that would have been cool. All these pictures of him in his bicycle helmet looking really fast. Broke his leg. Then he tipped over and broke his I leg. I didn't realize he hit a curb. He was spending the night in a Swiss hospital. Out of precaution, we'll fly to Boston for more treatment at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital. Uh, the secretary canceled the rest of his trip to four countries, including an international conference on battling the Islamic State. Wow. The 71-year-old fractured his right femur after crashing his bike. Ooh. Uh Kerry is holding, well, he was, they were holding uh, talks about the Iranian deal that's continuing to yeah, be discussed. Yeah, he had to bow out of the Iranian talks. So uh, he continues to be in great spirits and active, said his spokesperson. Well, let's just be real. As a past EMT, you break your femur, that's the biggest bone you got. Yeah. He done broke the biggest bone he's got. Isn't it ironic that it happened in France, where they have the Tour de France? I hope it didn't happen like right under the Arc de Triomphe. That would have just No, been... it was 40 miles from the Swiss border. Okay, well, that's better. It was a little further away than that. Well, I hope he's okay. Uh, probably. I mean... he, he had a team and an ambulance following him around, so I think yeah, he's, he's fine. fine. <laughs> he's fine. It's a broken femur, for heaven's sakes. It's a big deal. You know, he's still the Secretary of State. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, in-house, Joe Cannon's going to be joining us. He's our political insider. I got a lot of questions for him. We're going to find out about Rand Paul. Is it, uh, do you bet your entire candidacy kind of like he is? He's just pushing on this this issue, and uh, we're going to see how that goes. We're going to find out what Joe thinks about that. Plus, Hillary. Hillary tends to bring up her age more than anybody. 
And uh, we're going to see if that's going to impact her positively or negatively. Lots of stuff. We're talking politics, as we do every Monday morning. Joe Cannon will be in the house. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, Monday mornings we like to to talk politics, mainly because Sundays the uh, all the talking heads on TV they just go crazy about all of all of the political issues. So we bring in our own, what we call our political, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. And he doesn't always love that title because he's just kind of inside. Um, but he's was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party uh, back in the day. He's also um, was a candidate for U.S. Senate. He served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA uh, Environmental Protection Agency under the um, Reagan administration. Also was an editor of Deseret News on descent in uh, in. 2006 or so. But we asked Joe to come on to pick his brain and to find out what he thinks, you know, his his view, what we need to be paying attention to politically. But Joe Cannon also is is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can go to fuelfreedom.org. He's trying to lower costs of fuel in the United States, which is a really we appreciate that. You're fine for having Joe. me, Matt. Because having missed last week, it seems like infinity since we've been here. Yeah, it's like, where have you been? <laughs> I've had, I, that's why we have so many things to talk about today. Okay, where do we start? I think we, we've got to get in. All these new people are getting in the race. Rick Santorum is in. Rick Santorum, by the way, known for uh, really with very little money taking Romney pretty far. He, he battled Romney hard yep. back in the day. But he also played a really interesting role in moving Romney maybe much more conservative than Romney wanted to go. Yep, I think a lot of people thought that. Back in the day. Mm -hmm. Do you think Santorum, now that Santorum's in, does he have a shot? So I think you just said, quote, back in the day, close quote. I think that he's going to typify. He's a back in the day candidate. You know, there's nothing fresh, nothing new. Yeah. Same guy, and it's going to be the same result. Uh, Except he might not go as far. Yeah, because it seems like... You, you need the money. And this is an interesting thing because it seems like Jeb Bush is going after money, but he hasn't even declared his candidacy. But the press is beating him up like crazy. So he'll have the money. Santorum won't have the money. Yeah. Well, I mean, the most interesting thing about that is is that even though Bush was the presumptive front runner yeah. when he said he was going to announce uh, the fact is the latest uh, Iowa not... poll shows him just – well, first of all, the number one in the Iowa poll is undecided. Oh, is and, it really? Yeah, and yeah. then everybody else is in the uh, – I will say Scott uh, uh, Walker, Walker has made up uh, – has kind of – in one poll has pulled out ahead. 17% yeah, I think yeah. they say he and has. that's a chunk, yeah. And that's a chunk too because he doesn't have 100% name recognition. Jeb Bush has 100% name recognition and he's like 9% or 6%. He's having a tough time getting out of the starting blocks. Yeah. Uh, Why is that? that? Well, I mean oh, – Everyone's gunning for him. I was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago – a lot of people around the table, a former CIA director, former head of Shell Oil. Wow. Uh, a bunch of a former head of the National Security Council and the Reagan administration. So had a, there were Democrats and Republicans, some strong liberal, some strong conservative. And someone just mentioned the words 
Clinton v. Bush. Uh, and everybody around the table just said, oh, uh, no. I can't do it. You know, no, please, no. It's interesting. Uh, and I think that's it. There's just a lot of Bush fatigue. Yeah. But he's actually a great guy. He is he's a great a, guy. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, well, a, he's a great guy. And when you think of uh, the Hispanic votes, he'd mm-hmm. be valuable. He'd be incredibly yeah, yeah, powerful yeah, there. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> he's one of the only ones that would really have a draw or any power in that area, wouldn't he? Well, I don't know. I mean, Marco Ted, Rubio. Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio are both actual Hispanics, yeah. and uh, Rubio is very popular in Florida. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I don't I, – I, the main story about Jeb Bush is that he just simply failed to close out the, the, uh, the competition mm-hmm. at the outset. So now he's just another guy running and maybe he's a richer guy in terms of yeah. political contributions and connections to – I mean he's expecting the, to have yeah. about $100 million yeah, yeah, which is, to start throwing and, down. And that's, that's, that's plenty. So, I, mean, I mean you'd think so, huh? So Rick Santorum, you're not – you don't have a sense he's got – much of a shot. No, and I heard listen last week to George Pataki and yeah. Lindsey Graham today was it today or yesterday whatever He's coming he out today, yeah. I think. Uh, you know, he well I heard him this morning, so it must have been already and he yeah. uh, it, there's just this huge crowd and I think it's all in the expectation that the Republicans have a really good chance no clear, uh, no clear favorite leader, leader yeah. has emerged. What the heck? I've been the governor of New York. You know, I've been a senator from Pennsylvania. Yeah. I've been a senator from South Carolina. You know, I'll just yeah, what, who knows? Lightning could strike because lightning did strike a guy named Bill Clinton uh-huh. and Barack Obama. Really? Yeah, and and Barack. He Obama. has one nomination speech or whatever, and it throws yeah. him right into the next round. So. You know, I think that's what people are thinking. That um, uh, Martin O'Malley, I think, got in today. M- Martin O'Malley got in, I think, over the weekend. Okay, actually, yeah. it was on Saturday, and I listened to his speech yeah. too. As a, a, a quite a close friend of mine is one of his finance committee guys. You know, they know they're the underdog, but they also know that things are mounting on the Hillary side. Yeah, and, the Hillary stories know, keep coming out yeah. and coming out. And I want to get to the stories because I know you've got some interesting insight on that. Martin O'Malley's in a weird position because Bernie Sanders is going to pull everyone to the left and Clinton's going to try to stay as centrist as she can and probably as she is. So where on earth does O'Malley play? Well, he's moving left. (laughs) So he's uh, just going to try – isn't that covered by Bernie? (laughs) He's going to move middle left? Bernie is off the edge. Okay. So so, I mean he he will have a – a small constituency. He's yeah. the Gene McCarthy at best. His best case is he's the Gene McCarthy of this race. Probably a lot of listeners don't even yeah. remember Gene McCarthy, but he ran for president in ooh, 68, basically ultimately ending in in uh, causing Lyndon Johnson to not even run again. Well, was this McCarthyism? Yeah. The, this was, no, 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 no. Oh, a different that's McCarthy. A, a different okay, McCarthy, okay. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so he... Uh, he ran way to the left and uh, anti-Vietnam War. Oh, and, and Johnson. Johnson said, you know, I'm not even sure I can win the nomination of my own party. And he dropped out. So Humphrey yeah. came in and that's history. But but, uh, but Sanders is way to the left of mm-hmm. him. So that Sanders yeah. is going no place except O'Malley's staking. The, the, the healthy left option – if well, you can't go well, with Sanders. O'Malley was a Clintonite for quite a long time. Oh, okay. He was a pro-Bill, pro-Hillary. Um, 
But he's now saying, you know, there's space to the left of her, kind of in, yeah. like you say, yeah. in between Sanders and Hillary. And I'm going to make her be tough on on trade issues, on the war issue. Uh, so he's he's taking positions that are left of even where he has been. Isn't help us with this because it seems like a lot of people are saying, and I, it's, it's it's I guess a lot of people in the media which tend to lean or skew left that Hillary's really a centrist. And I mean, and compared to a Barack Obama who would be much more supposedly liberal, where does Hillary really fit? Is she really a centrist? Because it seems like most of the population would be more centrist, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah. Well, I think she might describe herself as a centrist. If you look at her actual positions on virtually everything, yeah. she is you know, e- near the equal of, of President Obama. Okay? Oh, she, is she? There are, there are a couple of issues they might be a little bit different on. Yeah. She voted for Iraq. He didn't vote for Iraq. I mean, there, there are things like that. Of course, she could now say, of course, I never would have if I knew everything right, I know right. now. So – uh, her actual core positions are are pretty much within the uh, – I don't want to say left wing. I mean the Democratic Party is pretty left wing yeah, by, yeah. by their own admission. So the differences are how anti-war are you, how um, redistribution of income are you. Are you really? Well, it doesn't and, seem like well, two. Well, with, with Hillary, she's running as a redistributionist. She's right. running on you know fairness for the average yeah. guy, yeah. the guy out there. But uh, you know, there are people who think of the Clintons as Mr. and Mrs. Goldman Sachs. I totally. Mean, they, 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 lots of their speaking fees, a lot of their contributions do come from the investment bankers. And, well, and, if I bring that up, you, you were talking about a Slate uh, magazine article about – yeah, actually, it's all yeah, coming out. Now. Yeah, I, I misspoke. It was Salon. Oh, Salon. But oh, Salon is Salon, still, yeah, totally. uh, still not exactly part of the right-wing conspiracy. <laughs> and, and you know, it, it just came out with a, a story, I guess, over the weekend. i just quote the beginning part. Among all the rivers of money that have flowed to the Clinton family, one seems to raise the biggest national security questions of all. The stream of cash that came – from 20 foreign governments who relied on weapons export approvals from Hillary Clinton's State Department. So oh, I won't read the whole article, but, yeah. but they do a pretty good job of tying, okay, this country, Algeria, uh, they make two points. One is that she approved more arms deals to these 20 countries than anybody in history, and B, that she ignored the human rights component. So part of the decision that the secretary has to make. So these are secretary yeah. of state decisions. Part of the decision that the secretary of state has to make is, oh, where are these people on yeah, human, human rights? rights. Are, we, are we going to give them a bunch of weapons? And, right. you know, and, the, and the answer is in a number of cases that was just sort of overlooked and substantial increases in this, these uh, uh, weapons contracts were made. So as so as as these companies were were coming to the U.S. Well, countries, countries were and countries and companies yeah. that would have benefited from those because, arms sales. Because we're careful, the government has to sign off on if Lockheed Martin is going to be able to sell airplanes to another country, right? Or arms or weapons to another country. So they would go petition the Secretary of State, and simultaneously, while she's Secretary of State signing off on these, right. the Clinton Foundation is receiving monies 
from these countries, from these countries. And, and influential political people in those countries. And I guess there's some discussion in the story of, of Clinton, President Clinton, Bill Clinton's yeah. speaking fees from those same yeah, doubling, places tripling. at the same time. Yeah. But I mean, th- this story ties everything to these 20 countries. And so, so ba- among other things, it says, for example, the Clinton State Department approved $151 billion oh, wow. of separate Pentagon broker deals for 16 of the countries that gave to the Clinton Foundation. That was a 143% increase in completed sales to those nations over the same time period in the Bush administration. Wow. That's – I mean th- th- now here's the deal though, Joe. Th- and this is just the beginning really. I mean yeah. this is just starting and for the first time – the even the liberal or more liberal kind of looking press is questioning this stuff. Yeah, yeah. This isn't the first article, but, yeah, but it but is. It's, but it's just it's starting. More, really, it's more of a drip, drip, drip. It's uh-huh. more of maybe the faucets turning on. Do a little you bit. sense it will go anywhere? I, I, it, I, mean, I it hasn't looked know, that way right now. This question came up in our conversation about what are O'Malley's chances, right. and the answer is, I think O'Malley might be saying, you know what. Uh, There's something a lot there. of my friends on the left are not all lining up. Nancy Pelosi declined to answer a question yeah. about Hillary last week. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, you know, she's clearly the presumptive person. She's right. way ahead in the polls, but there hasn't actually been a real poll where people say anything That's yet. That's right. And and uh, over the weekend, apparently, Bernie Sanders got huge crowds at three different places uh-huh. in Iowa. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, to me, it's fun too because it's. It's a race. I mean, this is gonna, it's yeah. not just a coronation. Interesting stuff. We're talking with Joe Cannon, again, the uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. If you go to fuelfreedom.org, you can get information about his great work trying to uh, lower gasoline costs here in the United States. Um, but uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion with Joe. We're going to get into a little bit more about Rand Paul and, uh, you know, the Patriot Act. Holy cow. More coming up in the political news right here on The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, this morning we're talking politics, as we like to do on Monday mornings, a little, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacking after watching the Saturday politi- or the Sunday political shows. Joe Cannon's in the house with us. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. And as an insider in just the political world, he's, he's well, you know, positioned. He knows a lot what's going on. So we just like to pick his brain. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. I love I love these conversations because I, I can just ask questions ignorantly and then you're like, oh, I actually know about that. Um, Hillary. So we were talking about Hillary because it seems like Hillary and Bill, you know, they're making a ton of money just being past politicians. Well, once in future politicians. I mean, first and of all, future too, Bill, true. Bill Clinton, a former president, that always carries kind of a lot of clout. Yeah. He's a popular guy. But then you've got, you know, Hillary as Secretary of State, which we just talked president, about. President, exactly. Bit, Histori- yeah. Historically, uh, but just not, recently. Not this moment. But, and then a candidate and the presumptive candidate mm-hmm. and the, you know, presumptive 
president, really. I mean, she's she's ahead in the polls, uh, not just in the in, among Democrats, but uh, nationwide. So, you know, so if you're somebody who might want to have seek favors there, well, and if the model that they're using is okay, uh, it doesn't mean it would end if she was president and Bill would was. I mean, is Bill just going to quit doing speeches the minute she's president? I don't know what they'll do. Because you know, the model apparently is paying off yeah. for them. Yeah. yeah. I mean it is possible that Bill Clinton would say, OK, I'm just going to take a little hiatus here. But who knows? I mean they, he's very strongly yeah. defended the charitable uh, instincts of yeah. their foundation, although apparently like less than 12 or 15 percent or maybe actually, less, goes, actually to, goes to charity. Well, that, that's why I, if it seems like if our, all their arguments are correct – you can't give up the foundation because it's changing so many lives. Except if he became the first man, whatever we call him, mm-hmm. then he wouldn't give up the foundation, or he'd give up speaking. I don't know. It's just yeah. it's confusing. So what bugs me is how again, and I don't know that George Bush is out making all this money speaking. No, I mean he and Laura Bush get normal speaking fees, you know, yeah. probably less, way less than those speaking fees so, and less often. And then there was another story that – and we don't know all the details, so we don't – we won't get into some of it. But Denny Hastert, past Speaker of the House for eight years, yeah. he left – I guess voted out in his – is yeah, that how I, he left? I, think, I don't know how I, he, he left. He may have just retired. Did he I just retire? He, I think he just retired. But, but he retired with 4 to $17 million in, of money in – Wealth, yeah. Wealth? In his, yeah, his, but he was a school teacher at the before coach, that. right? And then, and, he, coach. and then he was in Congress for 26 years. How do you make 4 to $17 million in Congress? Really good question. You know, uh, I guess prudent investments, okay. you know, so-called. Uh, a lot of people do sweet deals. Like yeah. maybe you buy – a piece of property at a at a modest price that you, right. that oh guess what this earmark that I'm passing right uh, right now to give the state of X uh, uh, to to build a defense plant right there oh oh I just made I, I, can't I tripled I just, my money yeah yeah and you know I think that kind of thing happens a lot there is there was historically and during that time anyway uh, the ability for uh, Congress people to Basically, um, oh, I'm losing the term now, but uh, uh, trade stocks on inside information. So they would they would oh. find out. Oh, guess what? You they know, could legally. X, X company is about to get a big government contract. I think oh. I'll buy some of that stock. I'm going to buy. Th- yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And so because they're so. I don't know the. I don't honestly know the details with with Haster, but I do know that uh, not very many retired wrestling coaches or whatever no, it was right. uh, end up. With a, a net worth of Fourth. many, many millions yeah. of dollars. And by the way, the fact that we have only know that it's four to a seventeen range. million. And that's a weird range. Is because uh, they deliver. They do this quote disclosure. So, uh, doggone, they're transparent. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there are all these ranges. You have to add up the small ends of the ranges and the large ends of the ranges. Isn't but that? I, I'm going to guess it's a lot closer to seventeen than four. Well, exactly. Which is why. Then some alleged extortion or some, something's going on where he's making payments. The federal government finds it. But in the end, this is one of the reasons why money is a dangerous thing in politics, right? Because yeah, if you've got data on somebody, you could own them. You, you, yeah, you could own them. And, um, and that, that's, why, that's why we need to vet this a little bit. Is the money too 
are they too driven by money, do you think? Because you just shouldn't come. It doesn't seem like you should be a public servant and come out a millionaire. Yeah. Well, you know, greed is one of those fundamental passions. Yeah. And, you know, you put greed and a lot of power together. Uh, it's a huge temptation, as is as is immorality, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. I mean, you, one of the reasons Astor is in this fix, apparently, is is he's trying to cover up some uh, from the past. Yeah, some pretty bad actions, and maybe they um, maybe there's a lot more of that than we wish there yeah. was. Yeah. Well, then we I know. Guess, I mean, there's. But this happened years ago, right? I mean, yeah. The acts happened years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not accusing anything currently, and I yeah. don't even know a lot about the details of the past, but the. Power yeah. is a, is a powerful aphrodisiac, mm-hmm. and it's a powerful greed factor. You, you get two things coming together. I mean, that's it. Pretty it, often, uh, produce bad results. Well, I mean, it could just look like there's you know people are being the moral police and, and the morality police. Except if somebody has committed some act that then someone can hold over their head, you can own that person. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's a, it might be worth noting that you know the Hastert is the Gingrich slash Hastert mm-hmm. regime that impeached Clinton for his you know allegedly exactly. immoral acts. You got two of themselves immoral people. Well, Gingrich who, got uh, beat a beat down in yeah, the election was, last year. Well, that's why Hastert series. became the speaker is mm-hmm. because going back, uh, uh, Newt. Was fooling around, got in yeah. trouble. Yeah. So, so you know, you have these two paragons of virtue um, going it's after Clinton. That's right. You know, I, I don't know. What it's, an inch! It, it's kind of depressing in a it, lot of it, ways. It, it's kind of, kind of it is. It, it is depressing. Talk about a little bit about this Patriot Act. We were talking about it a minute ago, but in the end, I just think it's over. People don't care. Well, I. I mean, they should care, but it's so think, complicated yeah. that it's they yeah, don't yeah, get involved. Yeah. I think people really worry about the government snooping on. Yeah, them. sure, I do, and I think many people do. So, so that's a legitimate fear mm-hmm. that Rand Paul, Senator Paul, has. So, it's, I'll, I'll give him that. On the other hand, you have a lot of people who also would care about this on both sides of the yeah. aisle. Some of many of whom have opposed the Patriot Act in the past, and they're thinking, well, you know, threats are are threats getting. Less or more well, in my lifetime? And the answer is maybe more. More. Well, and especially it seems like right about as this is needing to pass, you hear more and more. The FBI comes out saying we don't have enough manpower to actually track down all of these leads. So, it's, I mean, it seems like the timing was interesting. Well, there's a, a, there, are a lot of political, yeah. there are a lot of political games on all sides on that. You know, I'm sure the administration is doing everything it can to get it, get it right. passed. And so all of the organs of public policy yeah. there are you know, kind of moving and reinforcing their message. But the, the, I guess the bottom line of this is it's – what's going to end up actually happening is we're just going to have a gap between now and I guess August. I guess it's two months or something. And, and – uh, the House has already passed the there's, Freedom Act. There's the Freedom which, Act. Which, again, very bipartisan and even with some pretty strong conservatives supporting it, that's going to happen. The, the way this all came up is is that, that uh, uh, Leader McConnell said, OK, I, I want unanimous consent that we'll just adopt the House version. Yeah, just And one guy it. says, you know what? No, there's no unanimous here because I'm, I'm, I'm not the unanimous guy. Yeah. And so then that, that was it. So no unanimous consent. The provisions fail, and now it has to go through the whole procedural process, 
and it will it's going to pass sooner or later it'll pass so so we've got well it's not know, like the data is going anywhere well it might be that the data well, is well going. because i mean it but, might be that for 2 months there is a data gap but but is it well there is a data months. gap from i guess the government having it but yeah. all the comp- the cell phone companies are going to Keep their data right, and that's really what the the uh, Freedom Act does. Yeah, is it right. basically requires the government to get a warrant to go get the information that the phone companies already have. And isn't that really just one part of this entire act? Sure. There's like six or seven other major parts. It, it just happened that these that's provisions it. were sunset. That's it. And, and yeah. it, that's it. And it seems like too that if we actually understood what what the government actually could see. So let's just say I sent an inappropriate picture of myself. There was a, a really interesting kind of out there, uh, John Oliver, who's, mm-hmm. who's kind of out there, mm-hmm. comedian slash trying to teach you. Political commentator. Political commentator. Yeah. But he basically said, um, it, you know, if an inappropriate picture was taken by you, could the government see it? Could the government see that picture? And he was asking um, – What's his name? Who was over – oh, what is his name? Who's the – right there. Uh, oh, I got to give you his name. The great NSA – the person that turned over all of the NSA. Assange? Uh, no. The, the one that gave him to Assange. Um, Snowden. Snowden. No. So he was asking Snowden this. So if I have a picture of me that's inappropriate that I just text out over you know, the Twitter sphere or text it out to my friends, um, can the government see that? And Snowden's like, oh, yeah. And he names every place that the government can see it. And they basically just went through an example of a really inappropriate picture and the 10 different ways that the government would still have access to that picture, find that picture, da 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 If, But what was brilliant, I think, about the whole play is that we don't, send, we don't get it. Like the phone calls, I don't want them tracking my phone calls. But there's a lot of other things in this act that can happen that as Americans we don't even know. Right. We, it almost doesn't even matter to us until it's like a picture of me. Right. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? Right. Then all of a sudden the picture of me matters. Yep, so yep. how do we educate people? I mean part – and you tell me this because it seems like part of the responsibility of being a voter is you've got to be educated. You've got to care enough to study about some of these issues. Right. And I'm not sure we have that. Well, oh, wow. You're getting to a huge societal issue. I mean the whole decline of education – the whole, you know, kids don't know anything. Yeah. A lot of times teachers don't know a lot. And I mean, I love teachers, but the fact is there's a general degradation of knowledge. I mean, you see yeah. all these polls periodically about how many kids could name who was president during the Civil oh, yeah. War no, right. or, or things that you think were pretty standard. You should knowledge. know that. So, yeah, the whole idea that, that uh, we have less and less – we have more and more available information and less and less knowledge is a big problem. But it does come to uh, – at the end of the day, you do need to find people you can trust to look to your interests. That's why we have representative government. government. Uh, we can't know all of these things. So yeah, you have hopefully a bunch of smart people who do think about this. And on this particular case, you, you have plenty of oh, yeah. really, really intense interest trying to balance that whole issue of, of freedom – and security. You yeah. know, it's a whole it's a whole how much liberty do we give up to how much to how much safety do we want? It really is uh because like they they keep bringing up it's about the fourth amendment and I sit there and I think it's about search and seizure. We don't even really relate to that. You know what I mean? Like my parents, my grandparents would have been more bothered by that 
you know, I don't know. It just seems like we're kind of losing. We're okay letting a lot of our freedoms go today. Well, all, all of government is answering the question: How much liberty to give up for how much for security? security you want. Uh, national That's or domestic? It's a it's a balance that goes back to Greece uh, yeah. in the. You know, Aristotle talked about Does stuff it? like this. You know, this isn't going away. Yeah. Hey, um, we've got one more thing. We just got to ask. Hillary Clinton brought up her age. I mean, a lot of people bring up her age. She'll be one of the oldest if she's elected, one of the oldest elected presidents. And she brought up her hair. About yeah. how a lot of people go in with you know darker hair and they come out with white hair. She's just gonna. She'll be the only one that won't come out with white hair. Yeah. Anyway, well, does, it doesn't matter per se, but is it fair game? I mean, if she's bringing it up, do people? I, I'm not sure age is fair game for other candidates, just yeah. because it's a very dangerous. It's a dangerous thing, thing. and I, I think what she was trying to do was, you know, pull a Ronald Reagan, yeah, right, who famously exactly. said, "Look, I'm it. not going to hold your youth against you." That's you know? so, great. so you know, uh, I think she was trying to play with that yeah. a little bit, but other people are trying to play with it too, like Rubio. You know, I don't know if you saw that, uh-uh. like, had a birthday cake made for his 43rd, something 44th birthday. And it was an exact replica of a birthday cake that Clinton, Bill Clinton did when he became, when he turned 50. Oh, yeah. And basically it was a kind of tongue in cheek, maybe not so tongue in cheek, saying, wow, remember when your husband was only 50 and, you know, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, the the fact of the matter is voters will take that into account Mm -hmm. or not. And it's not going to be a campaign issue. No. And, and don't you think, too, there might be an advantage to having a little more seniority today? Uh, could be. But, you know, I think the her age isn't going to be as much of an issue as uh, – Her hey, policy. Well, no. But, you know, it's it's more like, hey, back to the 90s. You know, are we really going back to yeah, the 90s? Are we really turning this. back the clock to a different time? I think that's going to be more yeah. – it's not so much directly age related, but you know, are, is this the team? Whatever, whoever she picks, is this the team to take us forward, uh-huh. or are we kind of stuck in the past? Yeah, but the nineties were great. The nineties had a lot of great yeah, things about in the nineties. But that's were, a great yeah, point. That yeah. Um, yeah, which which direction are we heading? Joe Cannon, appreciate you. You always hey, make thanks. it fun. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. And again, we'll have you back next Monday, uh, folks. This uh, politics—it's not going away. We just want to give you the information, the tools, insight. Maybe some commentary you're not used to hearing right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, uh, come back, do a quick review, and then off to a whole new hour of the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We so appreciate Joe Cannon uh, dropping by. It really is. There's so many insider points that need to be made, and there's just a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes that in the end, if you don't know some of that that's going on, you might just kind of believe everything you hear in in the media. Um, One of the things I wanted to just point out, when it comes to Hillary or Jeb Bush or any of these political, you know, candidates, 
in the end, it's still it's still a very personal decision. Uh, Tip O'Neill once had a quote uh, where he said, "All politics is personal. All politics is local." Right. So no matter what happens, even if I'm choosing the president and who I feel would be the best president of the United States, it's still a very personal decision. It's a very local decision to me. And one of the things I guess I I would try to just suggest to all of us politically is that we we personally become more informed. And even if you don't like politics, just study the issues – because understanding what's going on with the Patriot Act is is an essential you know experience. You need to know what's being discussed. You can then formulate your own opinion. You could then go find the candidate that you think represents you the best. And I think in the end, if we just had a, a more informed electorate instead of uh, an electorate that was following lockstep with uh, you know one party or lockstep with one name recognition. Maybe we need to take this and make it less of a branding experience, you know, from let and letting, you know, the advertising companies lead our decisions. Maybe it would be more valuable if we, heaven forbid, let our values and our principles lead the way. So can I just challenge you a little kind of a little bit of a coach's corner here? Get out there and study. Practice, figure out what matters to you, what your values are, what your principles are, and then make a decision based on that. It's too complicated otherwise. And um, in the end, too, I think, you know, you want to be informed. The other thing I would do, too, is involve your family, involve your kids. My kids are asking me all the time about my political beliefs. And it seems like the older they're getting, the more they're asking and um, the more these these ideas come up, it's don't just make this about a political decision. Make it about informed decisions on the issues, and um, not just about a candidate and not just about a party. Make it about the principles. So, what are your principles when it comes to freedom of information? Do you even know? Have you even thought that through? It's too easy to just sit here and, you know, start fighting through the political side of this. And in the end, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you – it's not going to get you more informed. And it's certainly not going to get you to understand the issues. I think it will also matter. We are, we're already talking about the debates and yet you're going to go watch a debate. And if you don't know the issues, you're just going to, I guess, just get used to hearing the, the talking points. So go deeper. Go deeper. Again, you don't have to love it, but you ought to know, especially about the Patriot Act today. Of all the topics we're talking about, the Patriot Act, this is the reason why we keep discussing this stuff. Not because we didn't necessarily love it and we thrive on it, but because it's important. It's important to all of us. We're going to take a break, my friend. Hour number one. It's in the can. We'll come back. More ideas, more tools right here on The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
I'm your host, hour number two, insights, tools, the ideas you need to lead a healthier, happier life for yourself. That's what they get on the show. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we, that's what we say they'll get. That's the attempt? That's what we, that's, that's our goal. Today, we're going to teach you how to respond when somebody puts you down. I had a teacher in sixth grade that she would call you out for put downs. So if, if you put somebody down, she'd call you out. Yes. What would she say? She would scream at you. You! Blank. She would say, hey, so-and-so, knock it off. And and you wouldn't really think of it as a put-down. It was just something yeah. you would say because, you know, kids say things and right. think it's funny. And and after a while, you're like, wow, we, we see a lot of put-downs. Oh, you know, she's it, pulling them out Because so she was pointing them That's out. That's great. And then as in sixth grade, you're like, wait a second, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I'm a jerk. We're very negative people. And That's probably good feedback. Yeah. I don't know if it stopped any of it, but I think it made people aware to the point that they understood what they were doing. I love it. See, now so. you just you could just shoot like a blow dart right into their yeah. neck. It was that kind of a feeling because you'd say it and she'd go, don't. You're like, oh, That was sorry. uncalled for. So what do you say? When somebody puts you down, what do you say? What's your comeback? I, it's situational. I don't have a... A set thing. I'm more of an improv is more of an improv situation rather than yeah yeah. I just I just do what my kids used to do. Sticks and stones will break my bones. Have you ever seen the fainting goat? I'm rubber and your glue. Yes, I've seen the fainting goat. Just go if you haven't. Go look up on YouTube. You just fall down. I fall down. My legs are (laughs) stiff. My arms are stiff, and I just go into this catatonic state, and for about a minute, and then I eventually shake it off and stand up. I think I assume most. Put downs are sarcastic in nature and just treat them that way. You don't even think they're serious. No. Yeah. See, I always think they're serious. That's why I do the fainting goat. And if they are serious, usually that person, I don't really value their opinion anyway. So I always, I always like to just throw out, oh, well, your mom's stupid. (laughs) You just throw that out. Just go, your mom. (laughs) And then Don's like, excuse me. What? Huh? I was just giving you productive feedback. That was inappropriate. What does my mother have to do with this? Um, anyway, we'll, we'll give you some ideas, uh, an actual researcher, for heaven's sakes, on put-downs and uh, a healthy way to respond. And my, my sixth-grade teacher's reasoning behind let's not have put-downs is because it would lead to negative self-view of yeah. – and then that could lead to bigger problems down the road Absolutely. when it came, comes to depression or other mental illness. Plus, it's just good feedback because a lot of times when you're in sixth grade, even this would work still today – you don't know how offensive you're being. No. And you're you're still learning how to interact with each other and sometimes that would be an insult and the teacher didn't want that happening. So it was a, it was kind of a it was an interesting year because I was yelled at a lot. <laughs> Were you? I I don't know. I'm kind of sarcastic at times. Do you want to watch we walk it through? I mean we could help you with that. I, I think I'm better That's now. That's a whole segment of the coach's corner. I think I'm better now, but it's more targeted. I, I, I know when people can deal with some sarcasm and some people can't. Yeah. Which probably doesn't really assist what she was trying to do, no. but it's fine. Some people are just wusses. Yeah. Oh, see, oh there you see? go again. There you go again. See, we don't call people wusses. One person who's been the target of a lot of put downs recently, FIFA president Sepp Blatter. Sepp Blatter. Mainly because he has a weird name. See, yeah. I just did it again. Oh, boy. Put down. He won re-election Friday. Interesting. Uh, taking down uh, what his opponent was Prince Ali bin al-Hussein of Jordan. A prince. He withdrew after receiving a clear minority in the first round. Blatter received 133 votes, 
according to reports, out of the required 140. Are you kidding? So after all that happened, the people were arrested, all kinds of claims of improprieties and money and bribery and all this. Two days later, he received 133 of the necessary 140 votes on the first round of voting. Interesting. So, again, because they call him like the Don. He's like Teflon Don. Nothing sticks to him. Yep. And yet, and then the voting is overwhelmingly in his favor. People are afraid of him. That's kind of what it seemed like. <laughs> the 79-year-old added that he will not rethink the awarded World Cup locations in 2018 and 2022 to Russia and Qatar. Mr. Butter also said that the arrest of 14 soccer marketing officials had stemmed from resentment by England and the United States, which had failed bids in the 18 and 22 World Cup bid process. See, but the deal is there's more information is going to start coming out. He also claims, he goes on, he also claims that this was the United States authorities. They acted because of American political support of Jordan, which was where his uh, his rival in the election was from. Oh, so this wow. was they were supporting the Southerners, Prince thought, Ali. He's yeah. We're just we we filed charges against him to help Prince Ali get elected. Yes. Hmm. Prince William. Yes. The Duke of Cambridge, I believe, is that the title? Duke of Duke Earl. Of, Duke something. Duke Hazard County, Georgia. Yeah. Um, uh, so Prince William. The the soon-to-be king down the road whenever that happens. The events – his quote is, The events in Zurich this week present FIFA's Salt Lake City moment when the International Olympic Committee went through a similar period of serious allegations. FIFA, like the IOC, must now show that it can represent the interest of fair play and put sport first. The Duke is getting involved. Well, he's the the president or chairman of the uh, FA, which is the governing body of soccer in England. Okay. And so they had their tournaments this weekend, their meetings, so he yeah. had to speak, and this was the comments just right after it happened. So he's – I just like that. They're, FIFA. Their Salt Lake City moment. Greg, uh, the chairman of the Football Association in England, the governing body of football in England, has vowed to, to oust Sepp Blatter as FIFA president even after he won his fifth term in office Friday, saying this is not over by any means – to quote the Attorney General, this is the beginning of the process, not the end. I'd be very surprised if Mr. Blatter was still in this job in two years' time. Blatter beat out his opponent. We talked about the voting mm. there. So England is convinced that he's not going to be in office for too long as the FIFA president. and so They must know some data. I'm you, telling you, this is, this is like a soap opera. It is. It's a, it's a FIFA opera. The U- U.K. banks are looking into FIFA allegations, so now the U.K. banks are going through money transfers and to see exactly what was going on and how yeah. that worked because their banks were also part of uh, the transfers and the, they're trying basically to find out if they were part of any of the wrongdoing so they could clear themselves was kind hmm. of what it reads so Martin O'Malley formally enters the presidential race last week he uh, is going to be challenging fellow Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton he says she is too close to Wall Street really yes <laughs> You agree? I agree. He goes, recently the CEO of Goldman Sachs let his employees know that he'd be just fine with either Jeb Bush or Clinton. And he goes, I bet he would. Well, I've got news for the bullies of Wall Street. The presidency is not a crown to be passed back and forth between two royal families. Mm. It is a sacred trust to to be earned from the people of the United States and exercised on behalf of the people of the United States. That's Mr. O'Malley. I like it. Another fighter in the ring. This is going to be fun. I was always told, if you can't look good on your wedding day, 
<laughs> you can't look good. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that, that's it's just yeah, so, yeah, if you somebody can, told yeah. me that because you go through all the process and sure, not sure. And the same thing. If you're running for president and you come out and your opening speech to launch your candidacy, if you can't, if you can't sound that, good, right? Ugh. Yeah. So O'Malley's looking good. He says he's not beholden to Wall Street like Hillary is. There you go. Allegedly, according right. to his quotes. Because I don't know. That you, you you should nail that you should nail your coming out party. You got to hit that. That's the idea. If you're going to do this, you need to step up and be ready to go. Yeah. Uh, there's a report over the weekend. New Independent Reports finds that Russia doctored photos to implicate the Ukrainian military what? in the shooting down of the Malaysian airliner MH17 last July. Russia did? Casting doubt on Russia's claims that neither separatists armed by Russia nor its own military were to blame for the disaster. Wow. Who would think that Russia, why would they do that? I don't know. The report is the latest by the independent analysis group called Bellingcat, which has been using open source material, often video and photos posted on social media, to provide hard evidence that Russia has been sending troops to and weapons to eastern Ukraine to support rebels there, despite denials from the Kremlin. Wow. So there's a thing. There's a, there's that's something. Not that it's going to matter, but. No, but that's. Yeah, they're they're proving what you know. If they're has not careful, said. people are going to start questioning Russia. They might. <laughs> they're going to start wondering, like, what's really going on there? It's interesting. And Beijing has banned smoking. What? How doesn't half the country smoke? What's the theory? I don't know if it's true. A lot of people, or the stereotype, I should say. Yeah, a smoking ban in restaurants, offices, and on public transport in Beijing began Monday in an effort to curb China's more than 300 million smokers. Oh, wow. Violation of the new law carries a fine of 32 dollars for individuals and around uh, 1,600 for businesses. China's previous attempts to implement smoking bans have largely failed, including guidelines published in 2011 by its Ministry of Health. Those rules were vague, and smokers continued to ignore the initiative. Thousands of inspectors will help enforce the new ban. But that's just public smoking. Public, business, restaurants, public transportation. Okay. Yeah. But so about 350 million people smoke out of 1.5 billion. Not, yeah. So yeah. that's not very many. Right. <laughs> that's great. So they're going to ban smoking. They're, they're protecting their people, trying to save lives. That's now, great. if they just figure out how to make it so you can see more than five feet in front of your face. If now they need to ban other pollution. <laughs> other pollutions, yes. From businesses. Interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, uh, those are the headlines, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking uh, to Dr. Linda Supidin about put-downs. So when somebody puts you down, you know, throws the really offensive remark out there, how are you supposed to respond? Have you ever wondered, how do you do it? What's an effective way to do it? We'll be talking about it up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, do you remember that heart-stopping moment in the uh, movie The Sandlot? Where Ham Porter tells his rival team leader that he plays like a girl. Do you remember that? Well, that scene is full of rich middle school style insults. And you'd think that stuff would have stopped in middle school or at the latest in high school. But unfortunately, a lot of, uh, a lot of that's still going on in our world today. So growing up doesn't mean that we necessarily uh, 
change the insults or even the vocabulary around the insults. But we need to figure out how we should choose to respond to other people when they are just being offensive. And we've asked Dr. Uh, Lisa Sapodin to join us. Um, she is uh, she's she's an expert in the field um, of psychology and and is joining us today to help us figure out how we go through a put down, how you make it a healthy how you make a healthy response to such a put down. Again, Dr. Linda Sapaden, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, I'm glad to be here. So great to have you. And we, we really need, I think, your insight to this because people are offensive all the time, sometimes intentional, right? Sometimes unintentional. But in the end, we we can't just react and be offended. I mean, in the end, it's just going to create more problems, won't it? Well, you can certainly react and be offended because that's what most people do. Yeah, that, that is. It's the traditional response, isn't it? They become wounded and uh, and tongue tied and silently stew, and they don't know how to respond, or they become so enraged that they give a put down, retaliate with a put down. Yeah. Or they become uh, defensive and explain and try to you know make the other person understand, and um, those. All three of those uh, possibilities are okay on occasion, but you want to expand your repertoire as to what you might say. I call them comebacks to put downs. Yeah, and because really, when when I when you were just going over the list, it's kind of a fight mentality, maybe a flight mentality. Um, it's it's kind of natural to want to defend, right? Absolutely, but it depends upon how you defend. I mean, we say that there are. Most people know about the fight-or-flight response, but the other response is just to um, stay still. Yeah, freeze. And that's out of fear. So you don't say anything, but that doesn't mean you're not feeling humiliated and, and as I said, silently stew. Or you you um, uh, attack. That's when you get enraged and respond in, in, in kind. Um, or you run away and... Um, and y- you respond defensively. Yeah. And, so and what I like to do is to tell people there are more there are more responses than that. And it's good once you learn them, then you can kind of have them in your back pocket and pull them out whenever you need to. It really it's becoming intentional, right, in your response. It's 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 just expanding the repertoire. I love that idea. And by the way, is this mentioned on your website, psychwisdom.com? Well my website is psychwisdom P S Y C H wisdom dot com. And um, let's see. I have hundreds of articles on there. I'm yeah. not totally positive whether if, that's if this one is or not, a... but I can certainly put it on there. We, we, we found this on psychcentral.com, which is where you're, you're one of their providers of content. Yes. Talk, talk a little bit about, um, I mean, is this a learned process? Is, is, is the way we deal with the comeback, is that something we've learned from our parents, or is that something we just learned in grade school? Where, where did we pick up? our unique style to a put-down? You mean one of those three? Yeah. Okay. Well, we tend to learn them based upon our personality. So if we have a more quiet, fearful personality, we'll tend to not say anything. If we are full uh, full of rage and full of anger and very sensitive, you you may respond offensively, like, how dare you, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and if you, um, like, are hurt and want to explain what to do, 
it's uh, it's often like a, a defensive child responding to a critical parent. Well, Mom, I only did that because of this, this, and the other thing. Yeah. So we learn them from our childhood. Yeah. We pick them up. They're not generally deliberately taught, although in some families they may be. Yeah, you you get back and you fight that. Per- yeah. So, some families might kind of institutionalize one of those ways. They might support it, huh? That's true. Does when when you came up with these ideas uh, as far as the the healthier comebacks to the put downs, um, I, I guess it's all situational, right? I mean, every situation might demand a different type of comeback, or is there is there basically a theme you can go with? No, there are different kinds and different ones that you'll be comfortable with. Why don't we? Uh... Tell our listeners some of those responses. Yeah, let's get into those. What what are some of the the responses, the comebacks that you suggest? Well, one of the top ones is that um, you you agree. Whenever there's a conflict, it's good to get to the point of agreement. In other words, there's something about what the person said that you might agree with, but you disagree with the negative value judgment. In other words, if somebody says, "Oh God, you're so slow doing this." So you could say, yes, you know, I, I, I am slow, but you don't make it a negative. That's because I want it to be really good. So I'm taking my time in doing this. Mm. So you, you negate the negative value judgment. And, um, and you agree with what you can agree. So you, exactly. you find the agreement. And then you negate the... Somebody could call you a dork and you say, yeah, there's a kind of dorkiness (laughs) to me, but you know what? I like that. It's it's kind of, uh, I I just do my own thing and I don't copy what everybody else does. Yeah. You know, so you're casual about it. And the most important thing is you, you take away that negative value judgment that says you're not good enough or what the hell is the matter with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, that's a... Because if we have agreement, it also shows that you're not just – I'm not just fighting you because you said something rude. I'm actually going to – I'm mature enough to understand what you're saying and agree where I can and still be able to disagree. That seems to balance kind of – because it seems like there's always a little truth in it. And if I can show that I'm with you on the truth, then it might give me more power to combat what's not true. Exactly. That's powerful. Another one you bring up is to respond to process – not the content. What do you mean by that? Okay, well, people often don't, don't understand the difference between process and content, and it's so important. Um, content is what, specifically what the person said, and content is what's happening. So if, if somebody is really, um, like, nasty to you and, and just short-tempered with you, <clears throat> And instead of instead of responding to, you know, why didn't you get this done? You could say, gosh, you're really upset with me today. You mm. know, what's happening? Because if that person is not usually that way. You, you respond to, like, like, what's going on between the two of you, not the specific words that the person said. Yeah. Because a lot of times the words aren't the point, right? I call, I always talk about smoke and fire. And the smoke is the words they're using, but the fire seems to be something's going on. They're angry in this moment, and by right. pointing out, like you're saying, the process, what mm-hmm. what will that what will that do for them? Well, it will take it to another plane. I mean, because if you're arguing about, let's say, um, 
let's say somebody said, no, I, I said, I said you should be here at, at six o'clock. And you said, no, around six. I said, no, I said six. You know, what are you arguing with yeah, me for? Right. And you go back and forth between this detail. You've got to get out of that, you know, because the detail is not important. What's important is maybe the person felt you kept them waiting and they were upset because uh, they feel that you don't pay, pay enough, that you treat them shabbily. Yeah. So, so you want to get to that point. The, the deeper point. And, right. and, and, and it seems like because if that's the real issue, we could spend all day dancing around the content. Exactly. Exactly. That's such a great, but, great but Most lesson. people don't know how to get out of that yeah. uh, content conflict and get into something else. You, what you need to do is to take a step backwards and ask yourself, you know, what is this about? What's happening? Yeah. We're talking with Dr. Linda Sepaden, uh from the website um, psychwisdom.com. We're going to take a break and come back, continue talking about the comebacks to put-downs. When somebody puts you down... What are some healthy ways to handle the comeback? We've already talked about a few. Basically agreeing with what you can and then disagree where you need to. And then another one is focusing more on the process than the content. We're going to get more wisdom from Dr. Linda Sepaden up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about put-downs, and uh, one of the things that happens, it seems like, in our relationships, it's not going away, folks. We all just have a different approach, a different style. Some of us use different uh, tone, volume. Some of us are more blunt than others. Some are more sensitive. And these differences, because they're not going to go away, we have to figure out how to kind of navigate and negotiate through these. We can't expect everybody to communicate the way we do, but we can respond more effectively than maybe just fighting them, getting defensive, stonewalling, going quiet, you know, silently steaming. And so we've asked our next guest, uh, Dr. Linda Sepaden, to come and join us. Um, She's from the website uh, psychwisdom.com and, and runs that website. But we also found a wonderful article she wrote on psychcentral.com. And uh, she's here today to teach us some really healthy comebacks for the put-downs that we experience in our life. Uh, Dr. Linda Sepaden, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. We were talking about some of the, the, the basic comebacks we could use. One of the things that uh, you talked about in your article is simply the idea of uh, as a great comeback is if you've done something wrong or offensive or hurt somebody, just apologize. Right. Some people have um, are allergic to apologies. They will do everything but apologize. Yeah. So, and some people go overboard. They make it like, oh my God, I did that. That's so bad. And they, they, they. It's like they, it's torturous for them. <laughs> What, what, what's that from? Why, why are some people? Why is the apology so difficult for some? It's so difficult because uh, 
it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of you did wrong. It's a sign of like I, I am kowtowing to you. I am telling you you are right and I was wrong. And it's it's much more male-oriented thing that the, the, the apologies are uh, few and far between while women often apologize way too much. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a happy medium where if it's your fault, you agree that you did something wrong, you apologize, but you don't make it an earth sh- earth-shaking event. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and you can even say, I'm glad you told me that, so then I'll know, you know. If somebody tells you, for instance, says to you, um, oh, you're so sensitive, um, and and then they say, well, um, I am sensitive, but you know, I, I I didn't mean to I didn't mean to insult you. I apologize for insulting you. I just meant that as a characteristic. I just hmm. to tell you, in this area, you, you're more sensitive than I am. That's good to do. Yeah, and apologies. There's so many times we just want an apology. But see, it's also interesting, Linda, because it seems like we could really get good at apologizing and not meaning it and just using the apology as a technique, you know? So we well, just quickly a, apologize. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It's a fake apology. It's not real, is it? It's, uh, it, it makes things even worse because politicians are famous for doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, if I hurt your feelings, yeah. I apologize. A, a sincere apology needs to be... Um, and I did write another article about that one, which is on my website. A sincere apology needs to be that you um, say what you uh, uh, d- believe you did wrong, and um, and you're sorry you did that. No, uh, you don't have to whip yourself, but you also need to be sincere in saying yes. This this was something I was not, I I didn't do well or I didn't do right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is is powerful about your approach, um, we're always in a dynamic with two people. And so sometimes if I'm being offended by them, one of the ideas you suggest is that we enlighten them as to our sensitivities. That's true. People don't always know what's um, what you're sensitive to. Yeah. And that's often true between men and women because I have three sons, and when they were growing up and I would listen – to their to their phone conversations and they would call each other like you know I don't know what you can say on the air yeah they'd make fun of each other call each other names yeah, yeah you know stuff that I that that <laughs> was not in my in my realm of thinking it was not what you say to a friend and then my son would say well why can't I say it he says it to me yeah. Uh, so, so guys tend to uh, call each other names very, very um, casually, and most of them just take it with a grain of salt and give it right back. You do that with a woman, and wow, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because women don't do that. You know, n- not that women are better, because they may very well discontinue a friendship and break it off because this person said this, but but they won't they won't call them on it and yeah. they admitted to it, but they didn't say it directly. Yeah, they might say it behind the back, but the guy might say it face-to-face. Yeah, yeah. So when you have the male-female relationships, guys are used to interacting with guys, women are used to interacting with women, and, you know, then, then um, you know, all kinds of sparks start to fly. Hmm. So. I mean, I guess that's it, huh, is... is we just have to almost attune ourselves to each other, right? We've got to – I always think of this a lot of time. I mean it may not matter if it's the guy at you know McDonald's that's bringing, giving me my meal. But 
if it's my spouse, I probably ought to teach her how I'm sensitive. She could teach me how she's sensitive. And then another suggestion you have is offer the person another way to phrase what was said. Give them a better way that would work for you. Right. So if if um, one of the examples I use is I don't mind if you call me sensitive. I am sensitive. But when you call me overly sensitive, mm. you know, that feels like a put down. No. So so give the person – in other words, often you wish somebody would say something. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. Well, then you say it. Then you say, you know, I wish you would have said it this way rather than that way. And that's a teaching moment. This is – it's like what you're teaching, Linda, is um, – these are all comebacks that actually keep us in the conversation. I know in my work, historically, uh, what ends up happening is we turn into fighters or flighters or freezers, which which makes it so we don't end up staying in the conversation. We almost end up just blowing it up, which right. eventually becomes a habit, and then we never solve anything. A mm-hmm. lot of your comebacks, it seems like you're you're trying to get just keep the conversation going more effectively. Yes, and sometimes the conversation goes on and on and on, but it's not effective at right. all. Yeah, yeah, you're just yeah, you're just throwing words out there, smoke. Oh, so, uh, especially if if it gets very heated and you're cursing one another, and you know. So one of the things I say is 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 state succinctly what's upsetting, and that often the less you say, the more powerful the message is. Mm-hmm. So if if somebody has really totally cursed you out then uh, a good response is not cursing him back or, 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 you know, telling him, giving a whole speech about how bad he was. You just say, I will not tolerate being cursed at, period, end of story, and leave the room. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's a boundary. You've, you've drawn a really strong boundary, and th- then they can, you know, do what they want with it. Mm-hmm. But you've informed them. Yes. I love that. And, and again, because it doesn't mean I have to sit there and take it. It just means I'm, I'm still going to be communicating. Right. That's right. great. What about humor? I mean, it seems like, to me, I found it's just a great tool to kind of dissipate some of the emotion if you handle it the right way. I've also seen it could backfire on you. Talk to us about how we use a joke or sarcasm. Yeah, well, it, it, it can backfire on you. You're right. But if... Um... One way, uh, let's say, do you want to give me an example of what often happens? Well, like, um, well, even that example you were just giving where somebody just went off and started going off on you and swearing and going crazy, I, I right there would use more humor or sarcasm like, wow, so do you feel better? And mm-hmm. kind of just ask a joke. Um to kind of create a little space where I would then be able to think about the next thing I would do. Well, if you say, wow, do you feel better? Chances are if the person enraged, they're going to say, no, I don't feel better, and go on and on and on. They're going to keep spewing. So, you don't want to ask a question. Um, uh, when you respond with humor, if, if a person is totally enraged, you don't want to do that because that's dissing him, really. It's saying, I don't, I don't, I don't give a damn about your rage. I'm into humor. But if if somebody said, let's say, oh, I can't believe this mistake you made, you know, what the hell's the matter with you? Yeah. You might say, well, you're right, I did make a mistake, and I'm, I've been working on becoming a perfect person, but I'm just not there yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe next year, you know? Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. 
so so you are adding a bit of lightness to it yeah. you know uh, um a bit of humor sometimes even a bit of sarcasm which is yeah i'm 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 not perfect you know um so so that that often um brings down the emotional uh the emotional flavor of the of the uh interaction it's it's really a dance, isn't it? Because you're dealing with emotion, you're dealing with content, you're dealing with history, you're dealing with patterns that they've learned. And I guess I guess t- teach us what's the. There's a bunch of techniques. I guess how do we know it's working? How do you know the the dance is working? Yeah. How do you, how do we know that my comeback is working with their? I guess I would assume their emotion would dissipate. Okay. Um, well, I agree with you that conversation is not just comebacks and put downs, put downs and comebacks. It's uh, it, conversation is a dance. Yeah. And it could be a slow dance. It could be a, a quick step. It could be a jive. It could be all kinds of dances. Mm-hmm. And there's not one that's correct. It's based upon your personality and your mood and all of that. But um, it's it's an um, you know, most people know whether a dance is working based upon uh, the emotions that's being put out there and how you feel and the next response and um, and whether things are being lightened and you you pay attention, of course not on the, not on the phone and not on the text, but you pay attention to body language. Yeah. Um, and and you know whether it's softening or whether the person is becoming more enraged. But you can always ask that. You know, you could you could always ask. You know, you say I I, I think I think what I just said is uh, is making things a little bit easier for you. You know, is that true? And, and that's just you commenting again on what you're seeing. Right. And and you ask the person for confirmation, and they say no, it's not true at all. You know, what the hell made you think about right. that? Right. Or they could say, yeah, I am feeling a little better. I'm glad you said what you said. Yeah. it's. Um, I love that just simple reflection of what you're seeing. It's hard. There's a great quote by Paul Watzlawick that says, one cannot not communicate. And sometimes if we just pointed out what we're seeing being communicated, it's just it's such a powerful source of feedback for somebody. Mm-hmm. It really is. Well, again, um, we appreciate your insight. As we as we need to close, give us one thing. We always ask for the one thing. If there was one rule, one idea that we should make sure we pay attention to when it comes to somebody that has just put us down, what would you say is the one thing that makes the biggest difference, Linda? Well, the one thing, I'm going to go back to the very first thing we said. Hopefully your listeners are still with you from the beginning. Agree with what's true, but disagree with the negative value judgment. So don't don't get, just because somebody says something about you in a negative way does not mean that it's it's so bad, you know? Yeah, and it, it's not always you. It's and them, it's always right? always you. They may have a different take on something. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it again. Dr. Linda Sapaden, if you go to her website, psychwisdom.com, wonderful resources there under her articles, and you can find out more about her services and coaching. We're going to take a break, come back to the Coach's Corner on this topic, and uh, hopefully continue to give you more insight, more enlightenment right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Coach's Corner, where uh, I'll give you my take on how you handle people that are are putting you down. So when you come when you you come to it, the reality is if they're going to put you down, it's about them, right? So one of the most powerful things you can do when someone else is being a jerk is not take the bait, right? Don't follow the lead of the most jacked up person in the conversation. You don't need to be mad because they're being a jerk. In fact, the minute you're mad and affected and go quiet and angry and withdraw or become mean and aggressive because they're rude and aggressive, you're just following their lead. And if you really want to have power with another person, don't chase them. Just understand them. So just stand there and shake your head in awe like, wow, this is going on? Everybody communicates who they are while they're talking. They don't. They can say whatever they want about you, but you don't have to believe it. There's a. We all know when our five year old sits there and tells us that we're stupid. It's you know it's midnight and they're tired and you just got off of a long drive from a vacation, and you're putting them to bed and your five year old's throwing a fit. You understand that what they're saying isn't factual. They're just tired. Something's going on. So we don't believe it when they say they hate us. (laughs) We understand. They're just too tired. They're overslept or they're underslept. So we don't take offense to the kid throwing the tantrum, but we somehow become offended by an adult throwing a tantrum. So there's three signs I look for that are basic indicators that I wouldn't believe much of what's being said. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean there's not truth in there because there is, but I wouldn't just take it to heart. The three things I look for are negative emotion. Whenever I see negative emotion coming out of people, so negative emotion, remember, could be angry, judgmental, rude. If I see emotion like hate or frustration, any negative emotion that I see. Now, some people, when they're negative and emotional, they yell. Some, when they're negative and emotional, they just avoid. But when I see that, I know that something's going on. So I know that it's a sign that I need to probably be careful. Negative emotion, whenever I see it, however it's coming out. If I see somebody venting on me about something that's happening, um, I just, I watch it and it mitigates everything else that I listen to and how I interpret and what I do. Negative emotion is one thing I look for. Another one is understanding. Do I understand the context that this is about? Do I have enough information on the issue? Because most of the time, most of us don't have all the facts. We just don't know the context of what they're even talking about. When somebody has been, is being offensive to us, we don't know what happened five minutes before. We don't know if they took their vitamins in the morning. We don't know if they, they've eaten. We don't know if they're having a really hard time at home. We don't know. So because we don't know, I would assume the understanding's not there. So one of the things you might want to do is if you see negative emotion and understanding that you're not clear what's going on, and I would assume most of the time we're not, then I'd tread lightly. I'd I'd slow down. I'd just slow down. Like, it reminds me of like a bus stopping, or not even a bus, a car stopping at um, at a crosswalk. 
you, I guess, could just drive around the car and just blow through the crosswalk. But the car is stopping at a crosswalk for a reason, right? It's stopping for a reason. Don't assume you know what the reason is. You might want to slow down and get your own data for why they're stopping. So if somebody's being a jerk to you in a conversation at work, don't assume you know why. And don't assume it's from yesterday and don't assume it's because of the bit, the deal that didn't go through or you don't know. So try to get more understanding. So if I see negative emotion or I don't have the understanding as to what's going on, I lack data, or if another one is trust. If I have a historic issue where there's lower trust, then I know I need to tread lightly. I've got to be careful. If somebody doesn't trust me, for example, a teenager that isn't coming forth with information, they probably don't trust you can handle it. So I'm not going to go off on them. I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm just going to notice that it's a sign that I need to be more careful. But when I look at the signs, it's so important because I call them vital signs. When I see negative emotion, understanding that's struggling that I don't, I'm not clear on, and trust, when I see those signs, I know that I need to respond more effectively and carefully. It doesn't mean I need to run. doesn't mean I shouldn't say something. But I need to know the signs because the signs tell me what I should do next. The, the, the negative emotion, understanding, and trust, it's, they're basic. It's just vital signs. And when you see them, by the way, when things are going more effectively, you'll see the emotion in the person starts to drop. So my goal in an effective conversation with somebody is to manage the emotion, right? To make sure the emotion goes from negative, if possible, to neutral or healthier, positive. To make sure the understanding goes up and gets healthier and more information is there. And to make sure that we can eventually facilitate trust or at least get to neutral. Sometimes our goal is just simply to get to neutral. When somebody comes at you and they're bringing a lot of venom and a lot of vinegar and they're ugly and they're nasty, there's something else going on. And it's not necessarily about you, even if everything they are saying is about you. They're probably saying it's about you because they're negatively charged and the information and understanding is down. And trust isn't there. So instead of taking the bait and reacting to this person the way they're reacting to you, which would ensure a major argument, right, or a major withdrawal from each other, instead just recognize you seem really frustrated. Tell me why you're so frustrated. And let them give you information. Let them give you more data, more information. You might find out it has nothing to do with you. Well, I was just down the hall and John's canceling whatever project. So now all of a sudden I spent a year on a project that's not even going to be used. Oh, okay. Interesting. So now as we gather information, we now know it's about the project. It's not about me. Interesting thing. Why would he come to me spewing? Maybe because I'm I'm somebody he trusts. In the end, we need to be there for each other in a way that we can help each other vent through some of our stuff. And you also need to watch out. Do you tend to just vent on certain people? If somebody is constantly rude to you, if they're constantly demeaning to you, if they're constantly putting you down, there's constant negative emotion there. There's also 
misunderstanding. There's something going on that they don't get. That's a conversation you need to have. Instead of fighting about whatever you tend to fight about with these people, we need to get down to the deeper issue and find out what is it that makes you more negative about me and find out. Well, you're just you just don't care. And they'll throw out what I call an interpretation. An interpretation is just their view of something I did. And I try to understand it. You don't need to fix it. You just need to understand it. Does that make sense? Vital signs. That's why when the, you know, the ambulance or the paramedics pull up, the first thing they're going to do is check your vitals because they won't know how to treat you until they check your vitals. We just went over with Dr. Linda Sepadin uh, a, a big list of things you can do as a comeback. But before you come back with some treatment, I'd make sure you understand the vital signs. There's not, you know, there's no, not every treatment should be used on everybody. You need to know how to kind of read the tea leaves. You need to know how to read what's going on with the person. And the three most important things I would read is negative emotion. I'd read the negative emotion. I'd also read their understanding. Are we clear? Are we on the same page? And I'd read where's our trust historically. The higher the trust, the more you're free to say. Those are the vital signs. That's the coach's corner. Just simple ideas, folks, helping you uh, create healthier, happier lives. Man, we all need it. We all need to be able to read people better and be less offensive and less offended, for heaven's sakes. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back at the top of the hour after the news with more ideas, more tools right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. Today, we've got a great topic coming up, laughter. It's, it really is a pretty, it's, it's such an interesting uh, topic. Um, Dr. Sophie Scott will be joining us from the UK, and she has been researching laughter and the impact it has on uh, your communication and others. It's, it's just really fascinating. If you've ever gone to TED.com and watched any TED Talks, go check out a TED Talk by Sophie Scott. It's, it's, uh, it's about how just listening to somebody laugh can just get you laughing. Laughter and the laughs that laugh and make us laugh. Go to YouTube. Yeah. Type in baby laughing. And just try to be negative. Just try to have negative thoughts as you watch these little kids. Is that what you do? Sometimes you, you when, just, when I'm really steamed. You just go watch baby laughing. Watch baby laughing. They just giggle away. So you You're go fine. watch a laughing baby. James yeah. watches a cat. There you go. Wow. I'm, I, I'm just working. No, you're not. You sleep under the table. That's true. Totally Is that what you're doing while I'm sleeping? You take naps. I'm napping. Little laughter. Actually, I got through the death of a friend by laughing with all of his friends. We went and laughed our way through his his funeral. You're the kind of guy that laughs at a funeral. Yeah. Actually, we were asked to go tell all of the funniest stories about this guy, 
and we recorded all of our stories. So in the funeral home, in the back room, we were all in there, all of his buddies, and we were just laughing. And it's part of the way we got through it, right? It's either that or you got to go eat. Some would do drugs. Some would just eat ice cream. Yeah, laughing's probably the best option. Laughing's the best option. Yeah. So we'll be talking about that with Sophie Scott uh, in just a few minutes. Then, of course, we'll go talk to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show today. Just tons of fun. Plus some headlines. We talked about earlier, the Patriot Act has expired. Uh-oh, no more Patriots. So uh, the mass grabbing... Uh huh. Is that how you put it? A grabbing sounds weird. Mass grabbing is weird. Mass collecting. Collecting. That's it. Of metadata. Yes. All the information about where you, you know, where you were when you made the phone call, who answered the phone, what yeah. time it was, how long it lasted, all that information. Allegedly. Now I'm going to say allegedly because we are dealing with spies. Yes. Who are trained to lie. Well, and you're dealing with your phone company that regardless of whether the government gets the data or not, the phone company has it. Yes. And so what that will bring is there will be debate, I believe, starting tomorrow on the USA Freedom Act, which would be to allow your phone company to give the government all the metadata that they can't gather anymore. Don't you love how they choose these names? Because the names make it seem like, oh, yeah, well, who doesn't want freedom? The freedom. But when you think about it, the freedom is you're going to give the phone company the freedom to give information to the government and the government the freedom to go take it. Yes. So I don't know where your freedom is. There's a lot of debate and uh, grandstanding and as John McCain accuses uh, Rand Paul of – Yeah, they're duking it out. uh, Fundraising as he's standing up for – against the Patriot Act. In the end, we're probably going to be in a similar situation we started in with a lot of people feeling as if they made a difference, and I don't know if they actually did. Mm -hmm. This is Rand, though. There's a certain group of people, and by the way, a lot of them supported his father. Yes. He's just trying to secure that base, it seems like. Is this positioning? Is that what he's doing? I would say Rand is positioning. I also believe he believes it. Absolutely. And – the funny thing is, is I don't even think half of the people that don't un, don't like the bill or like the bill even know what's in the bill. Most people have no clue what's in the bill. That's what frustrates me because everyone's for it or against it, and nobody even knows what it's about. And we've seen that with past legislation Pretty where they, all, all they, they run to the cameras and are, are ready to fight, and then someone points out something key that's in the bill, and they're like, what? What was who, that? Who put that in there? And then some intern gets blamed for not yeah. reading that part and letting everyone know. So it's always the intern. The Patriot Act, USA or U.S. Freedom Act, or whatever they're phrasing it as, those are in the issue. John Kerry, Secretary of State, broke his leg in France, mm. fell off his bike. It's a big deal. He's going to be moved to Massachusetts. He broke his femur. Yes, broke his leg. So of all the bones, there's only a few bones that bleed. That's one of them. He broke the bleeder. It sounds worse when you put it that way. Must have been a nasty fall, though, to break his femur. But it's the strongest bone in your body. Yeah. Well, he's 71. Maybe he's got brittle bones. Brittle bones. Just uh, Age may have a factor involved there. Well, still, it's the femur. Because you know, once people start falling, then it's the hips. Yeah. Then the next thing you know. Dementia. You're put out to pasture and dementia. I don't think there's a correlation. Oh, no? I don't know. Okay. I'm not that kind of doctor. So you, you Matt, have an iPhone. Yes, I do. When, when you get a update to the software, how does uh, that work? Well, usually what happens is... 
I my I notice my phone starts slowing down. Yes. And I notice that <laughs> nothing is working. Yes. And then I think, oh, maybe I ought to do that update. And then I do the update, and then it totally messes me up for about three months. Right. And then I get used to that new dysfunction. Right, because you learn the new functions. Uh-huh. And then I get a new update. They update it new, again, and yeah. they mess it up. Okay. But the, the update actually comes over the air. Oh, it does? It's not like you have to plug it into a computer oh, and transfer it, programs. You I know what I mean? I thought an elf. I thought no. a phone elf came and put it on my so phone. So it's called an over-the-air update. Okay. So you don't have to plug your phone in. Yeah, yeah. NASA Uh-oh. did the same thing with Curiosity rover that's on Mars. Okay. Oh, they just sent an update. The Curiosity was on Mars, had an autofocus problem on their Kim Cam telescope. Okay. It wasn't working properly. Scientists at Los Alamos National Laboratory would take nine pictures of a subject – each at a different focus, trying to get one that was usable, that was in focus, uh-huh. right? So yeah, yeah. They, yeah. the autofocus wasn't there, so they, they'd focus it, take a picture, do it again, do it again. So now they've sent a software update from here to oh, Mars. wow. That's up, a updated, bad idea. Updated the, te- the, the camera, and now it works fine. Really? It worked? Yeah. Huh. And I mean, on the surface, you're like, yeah, I do that on my cell phone, but it's on Mars. Yeah. And think of everything that could go wrong. I guess that was an update for one function. Right. We weren't like sending 15 updates up. I don't know. They could have, you know, made a package deal. That is amazing. They said it's the, uh, like when your, when your email app on your phone gets an update. Yeah. It's about that size of a software update. So nothing, nothing massive, but still the, the distance, the technology this, involved to beam that there. Okay. But so anytime anybody says, so why do we even go to Mars? Yeah. Right there's the reason. So eventually you can get better updating technology all, on your phone. It's all about your phone. Then you don't Without have to that, be in Mars. You could be like in the desert by Bakersfield, California. And who's there? I mean, come on. Right. This gives you like more ammunition to be able to complain. Like, well, they can send something to Mars. Yeah, why not my phone here? Hey? Why, can't, why can't Apple send better updates? Yeah, they can do it to Mars. Hey. <laughs> exactly. Is that your New York accent? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. I bet all the New Yorkers were totally offended. Totally offended. Stereotypes. It wasn't New York. New York. It was like the mafia. It was like a mafia accent. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Not not necessarily New York. Not just, a New York mafia. Just no. mafia. Could be any, it could be a Midwest mafia. Yeah. Chicago. Two Florida men. Yes. Uh-oh. This never. We'll just preface. This never is oh, good. Two, you, it's usually a Florida man. Now yeah. it's two Florida two men. Two Florida men. A Florida judge may throw the book at twin brothers accused of throwing bricks at each other. <laughs> Michael and James Romilius, both 52, were arrested Tuesday after the two started arguing with each other in front of their house in Orange County, Orange City, Florida, according to the uh, newspapers there. The argument got doubly heated when Michael threatened to throw a brick at his brother. Oh, boy. Causing James, in response... To grab yet another brick. Another brick. So where they, they must have been like at a brick Might have festival. just been in their front yard. You never <laughs> <Okay>. know. <laughs> a lot of bricks were there. Michael threw his brick, causing a small cut on his brother's leg. Oh, boy. James countered and struck Michael in the right eye. Ooh. Which was soon bloody and swollen. Here we go. Both brothers charged with aggravated battery and sent to jail. Okay, but let's get real. Do we not appreciate that this was with bricks, not guns? Yes. So let them have it. Have at it, guys. This is what parents need to teach their twin kids. How to fight with bricks? Versus guns. Okay. Because that could have gone guns. totally ugly with guns. Could have gone a different with bricks, direction. bricks, it's just a couple cuts and now some major legal bills.
when in doubt, brick it out. Brick it out. <laughs> that, wasn't that the phrase, James? Yeah, it was. Yeah, when in doubt, brick, brick, it, brick out. it out. And brick a, a longtime roller coaster fan over Memorial Day weekend celebrated his 5,000th ride on <sighs> a Western Pennsylvania roller coaster. Are you serious? Why? He's 82. Oh, wow. Uh, he, he rode the Jackrabbit at Kennywood <laughs> in the, the Pittsburgh suburb of West Mifflin. That makes any sense. So at an amusement park. He also set a personal record of 95 rides on a single day to complete his 5,000th ride. I think he fell asleep. And it took him eight hours and 24 minutes. He never got off the roller coaster. He, he, cleared it, he cleared it with management, just sat there and just rolled and, and rolled. And so every and time rolled. they pull in, they check his pulse. Yep, he's alive. <laughs> Hit it again. So he rode, uh, he rode it 80 times on his own 80th birthday. Wow. Is there anything in your life that you have that kind of dedication to or want to set a goal? Or th- I mean, that seems sort, yeah. of, sort of nuts. Uh, yeah. An ice cream bar. Okay. Potato chips. Potato right? chips. I could see doing potato chips 90 times in one day. <laughs> I would need some motion sickness. Yeah, just medicine. when you started that. I'm not a good roller coaster guy lately. I think I've got an inner ear thing. Because I hear my pulse in my ear. Is that normal? Could be. Could be if you're dying. Could be. Could be if you've got a swollen ear because someone threw a brick at it. Could be. Well, again, the headlines you only get here on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. Have you ever been sitting there talking with your friends and, you know, you just started laughing about something and it became contagious? And then you had one friend that was making the weirdest noises ever because of their laughter. Like, it sounded like someone was harming a possum. We're going to talk about that. Laughter and the involuntary responses of laughter. And also the social benefits of a good laugh with a professor from the UK that's been studying it in depth. Sophie Scott will join us next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, in my world of, I I do a lot of public speaking. I I do a lot of workshop and trainings on marriage and on relationships. And I have found what I believe is a hidden key that helps a lot of learning and a lot of relationship building. And it's, it's laughter. It's humor, okay? And whether I'm funny or not, irrelevant. But when I can get people laughing, as, as we are talking about content, about marriage and family and communication and how to deal with conflict, I found it creates a really powerful healing tool. And I wanted to research that a little bit, and we found a wonderful talk on TED.com, a TED Talk, by our next guest, Sophie Scott. And Sophie is uh, received a Ph.D. in cognitive sciences um, in 1994. She went on to Cambridge, where she got um, uh, s- some more advanced degrees, and I believe now she is a senior fel- as a senior fellow um, and has been studying the power of not even the power of laughter. That's just, but just communication and how we use our voices and sounds and how it impacts how we communicate. One of the things she has gotten into is laughter. Sophie Scott, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi. How are you? 
I'm fine. Thank you. Fine. It's great. It's great to have you on the show. And I loved your TED Talk. Um, talk to us about laughter. Uh, one of the things I learned on your TED Talk is it's, it's a universal concept. We kind of think it's just humans that have it. But you're saying, I guess, most mammals have some form of laughter. I suspect so. So throughout history, there's been, you know, a persistent belief that humans are the only animals that laugh. So Nietzsche said only humans laugh because only humans know true despair. But actually, if you look across other mammals, as you say, you find examples of laughter. And I think the only real limitation is we haven't been looking. Uh-huh. So I suspect there's a great deal more laughter out there. Certainly, if you look at gorillas and orangutans and chimpanzees, it's very obvious to see their laughter because it looks and it sounds like human laughter. With other animals, you have to go into a little bit more detail to actually find out if they are laughing. But when people have looked for it, they find it. Well, what is it? So, I mean, that, that response where we can't breathe and we're making weird noises, that, that is, I guess, what laughter is. It's not the psycholo- – is, is it the psychological thing going on or is that the humor – How does that work? Um, At its heart, laughter is more like a different way of breathing than Hmm. anything else. So you're always using your rib cage. Right now, you're using your rib cage to breathe. It's getting air in and out of you. And I'm using my rib cage to talk, so I'm using my rib cage to squeeze air out, and that's how I can make a sound at all. What happens when you start laughing is the muscles in your rib cage start to do very big contractions. And that just squeezes air out of you. So you just get this ha, ha, ha sound because you're just squeezing air fr- straight <laughs> from the ribcage. It's a very, very yeah. primitive, very basic way of making a sound. Um, now, the, the emotion associated with that, I mean, I, when I started looking at this, I thought it was amusement. I thought, and that's what I called right. it, and that's what the paper said. Um, but then as I started reading about it more and I started reading about, you know, because you, well, you know, I think, well, I laugh when I'm amused. That seems a sensible name for it. But then... Rats laugh when they're being tickled. And it, does it make sense to say that a rat is amused? I mean, what no. does that mean? On babies, when they laugh when they're tickled, what, what does that mean? So if you take a wider, wider view of this, you try and look across the, the range of situations where you find laughter in other animals. Um, Panksepp, who's done a lot of work with rats looking at their laughter, he says at its heart, laughter is an invitation to play. So what you're doing is you're sort of extending a sign that you're not going to hurt anybody and you're not going to harm anybody or anything that you do mustn't be taken seriously. This is a game. This is enjoyable. This is positive. And it's a sort of joyous emotional state associated with that kind of playful mode of being that can then get played out into a number of different, more specific emotions, including, of course, humor. And we do laugh a great deal when we're amused. But laughter has its roots more in in playfulness than anything else. That's interesting. And, it, and it's an invitation for playfulness, which is why uh, I guess we pay attention to it when we see it, when we're enjoying I mean, because it, it does become addictive. It does. And it's a very useful tool to actually employ in interaction. So I've paid a lot more attention to people laughing since I've been working in the area. And I've noticed that people can be very skilled and very nuanced in how they use laughter to sort of, sort of diffuse anxiety and distress or tension or anger. Laughter dropped in the right way in the right environment can make things, social interactions go much more smoothly to people because you're, sort of, you're showing, for example, a very non-threatening face if you, if you start using laughter. Yeah, you, you, have, you have the funniest example on your TED Talk of some German gentleman that was about to jump in a swimming pool. <laughs> it is the greatest moment, and it teaches the lesson, I think, perfectly. He's just in his little swimsuit, 
Uh, it's cold outside, and he he jumps in. Everyone's calm. No one's laughing. I mean, they're they're happy, and he jumps in. But the 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 pool is frozen solid, and it, he you know he hurts him. I mean, he looks like he hurts himself. But it's almost instantaneously, and you make a great point that he, he wasn't bloody. He, there were there weren't bones sticking out, <laughs> so his buddies immediately start laughing, and you can see him go through pain, and then yeah. heal a little bit, and then start laughing himself. It's it was a it was an incredible moment of something that could have just been, you know, horrible, uh, yeah, turned yeah, into horrible just shared. Yeah, teach us about it, that. It, Is that what it's for? Well, I suspect that that's a very basic use of it. I mean, I have to hypothesize because this is much harder yeah. than to, to look at uh, scientifically than it is to talk about. But I think, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, that seems to be at the heart of a lot of the use of laughter. So um, if you look at when people laugh, we laugh when we're with other people. It's a social behavior and we're using it as a way as much as showing people that we like them and we are affiliated with them when we agree with them as, as, as much as anything else, as much as we, we're saying we're amused. So it's, this is um, Robert Provine's work showing this very nicely. We, we kind of think, when we think about laughter, we think about jokes and humour. If you look at when we laugh, it's something we do in interactions. And within those interactions, it's a very, very good way of, ma- of what's the best phrase, regulating emotional tone. So that's an extreme example, the guy sliding on the ice and and being in pain and embarrassed and and the laughter kind of turning it all around. But in fact, all of us are doing that all the time and we don't even notice that we're doing it. Um, There's there's a beautiful study from uh, Robert uh, Levinson's lab in California where he's been doing a longitudinal studies where he gets masses of married couples in, one at a time, a couple at a time, and he, he wires them up to a polygraph so you can see their physical responses. And he gives them a really stressful thing to do. He gives them, um, he, he asks them to talk about a difficult thing in their marriage. So yeah. he'll say to the husband, tell me something your wife does that irritates you. It's a horrible feeling. Imagine right. having to say right. in front right. of partner something that they don't like. Um, and what he's, you can see, physically see people becoming more stressed by that. That is a stressful thing. You can see their bodies responding. The couples who deal with that feeling, that uncomfortable situation, with what he calls positive affect, but he means laughter, not only immediately feel better, you can see them becoming less stressed. So the laughter is immediately regulating their emotion then and there. Together, they're feeling better. They're also the couples who uh, stay together for longer and are happier in their relationship. So... What you're seeing with laughter, I think, is a very, very efficient way with people that you're close to of actually managing how you feel together, the two of you together or the three or four or five of you together. It's something you're actually negotiating to improve how you're all feeling. And that's very, very useful in a, um, a difficult or an embarrassing or a painful situation. To be able to turn things around so quickly wow. is really beneficial. It is. And, and you, everybody kind of knows that. If you've shared a laugh, you've shared, yes. you've shared a relationship, really. Yes, I mean, we use the phrase um, breaking the ice yeah. <laughs> to refer to people finding some reason to laugh at the start of a potentially awkward social interaction. Oh, that is amazing. We, again, are talking with Professor uh, Sophie Scott. She is Welcome Trust Senior Fellow at University College in London, researching the neuroscience of voices and speech and laughter. We're going to take a break, my friends, come back, continue this uh, enlightening journey into the power of laughter and the healing power of, um, of, of relating and interacting using laughter as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, on the phone is Professor Sophie Scott uh, from the University College of London. She's researching neuroscience of voices, speech, and laughter. She has a wonderful TED Talk. You just got to go look up TED.com and Sophie Scott if you need a good laugh. And if you want to understand more about laughter, Professor Scott, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi. Good to have you here. Um, one of the things I loved about your study as well is the, the difference between um, kind of posed laughter, I think you called it, and real mm-hmm. laughter. We we are good at recognizing when it's kind of fake laughter. Yes, and, and in fact, that's, that's probably because the majority of the laughter you encounter on a day-to-day basis isn't people being helpless with mirth. Yeah, right. um, it's, it's much more polite, friendly laughter. I mean, we're actually producing it in an intentional way. And you can call that posed or fake, but what you mean is the person is producing it voluntarily. It's like, like the speech I'm producing now, I'm choosing to laugh at some level. And that's not a bad thing. That's no. a good thing. And the majority of times that you're actually producing it, it's exactly the right thing to be doing. And it's serving a purpose, I guess, to unify us in the interaction. I mean, I guess it's the same exactly. as us saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, exactly, it's, yes. a, it's a vocal tool. Yes, exactly. And in fact, if you look at people having a conversation, I mean, next time you're in a place like a coffee bar where there's lots of people sitting down talking, pay attention to people having a conversation because you'll notice when they laugh, they laugh in very coordinated ways at particular points in the conversation. So people will laugh uh, at the end of a sentence, and, that's when, and the person who's talking will laugh and everybody around them will laugh. Um, and that's true, amazingly, even if the people are having a sign language conversation, so they're not actually talking. Oh, really? They could laugh if they wanted to all the way through. The laughter's a punctuation. It's, a, it's, it's being very well-timed to say, and then that happened, and da-da, and then you get the laugh. <laughs> so it's something that you don't that's know cool. what you're doing, but actually you're, you're really coordinating it when you're laughing with somebody else. It's, it's, it really is a together activity, isn't it? I guess it, it also it syncopates us, and it puts us in this—it attunes us to each other, I assume. I think it does. Um, so people have argued that, um, I mean, if you, you don't notice this at all when you're talking to somebody, but uh, you and I, we're not in the same room, we've never right, met. Right. We've actually already aligned a lot of our behavior to make it possible for us to have this conversation. So we won't have noticed it. We'll have started to breathe in synchrony with each other and we'll have aligned on the rate, you know, the speed that we're talking and aspects even of our accent will have started to bring together. And now that happens all the time when people are talking to each other. It's, it's, it's been argued that that makes conversation possible. You sort of, you, you adapt to the other person and you, and you show a lot of how you feel about them in, in the more you do that. So if you don't like somebody, you <laughs> might do it a lot less. That's right. That's um, true. <laughs> You'll pull away, won't you? You won't laugh. You won't give them the laugh at the end of the sentence. You'll withhold all that stuff. And and it's um, it's something you can... You have to think of laughter as being something that fits into, a lot of the time, that pattern. You're using it to express affection and affiliation, but you're also using it to actually 
make the, the wheels of the conversation run smoothly. You're laughing at the right time to make that possible. So if you, if you try and talk to somebody who just laughs at you all the way through, it's disconcerting and it's hard to talk to them. What, what is it? I mean, this is fascinating because you're studying this as a speech communication tool. Yes. And yet um, there are some people that are just like, I'm kind of addicted to it. I need, I, I need a good laugh. And it, but it's also as funny as going to YouTube and finding a guy jumping on a frozen pond. That's all I need. Is it? Yes. Do some people rely on it more than others? Do some people need it more? Um, it's very hard to know for sure with humans. Uh, that one thing we do know is from rats. We know that rats who are tickled more when they're babies laugh more when they're tickled as adults. So it's a behaviour you can encourage. Huh. Yeah. What we're finding in our experiments is that there is variability. Some people are very, very good at, at hearing laughter and differences in laughs. Other people are less good. And we're finding brain signatures that correlate with that. So one of the things we're finding is that the more somebody gets ready to join in when they hear laughter, so the more they're actually primed to yeah, laugh when they yeah. hear laughter, any laugh, the better they are at telling real from posed laughter. So they are actually, the more you're joining in, it's helping you understand what you're listening to. So this does suggest that there may well be something quite interesting and quite complex happening, certainly in adults, that adult humans, that suggests that actually how you react to laughter may influence how you hear the laughter, how you accurately you understand it. And we think that's probably very important because, A, it's interesting to understand the normal variation, just why, why do some people laugh more than others? And uh -huh. You do find people who say, I find things funny and I never laugh. But in fact, if you look across a wider spectrum, um, there are psychiatric disorders where people are frightened of laughter. They are phobic of laughter. And it is absolutely always associated with a violent response. They wow. hear laughter. They think somebody is laughing at them yeah. and they respond with, with violence. And it's completely correlated with pretty strong psychotic traits. So, in fact, you can use laughter almost as an index of looking at how people process social emotions and how that then impacts on their interactions. Because, obviously, it's an extreme example. Somebody hears somebody laughing in the street sure. turns around and punches them because <laughs> they think it was directed at them. Yeah. But it does happen. And it's obviously you know, at an extreme end of a, of a wide range of how people are hearing laughter and engaging with it in different ways and it then has different knock-on effects on their life you know so if you don't join in when all your friends are laughing that will have an influence on the dynamic and it will have an influence on how you are interacting with those friends that's right and and what friends then choose to be around you yes because yes. yeah then all of a sudden people that don't find that you laugh at the appropriate time they may not want to associate yes hmm. and, uh, and of course the opposite is also true so um and i I have a, I'm going to choose my words carefully. I have a relative who I've always thought, oh, she laughs so inappropriately. She's always kind of going, ah, yeah, yeah. when she's around me. And I realized when I started listening to it more because I was working more on laughter, actually, there's nothing strange about her laughter at all. What's strange is I don't join in. I'm sort of going, I don't think we had that kind of relationship. Yeah. And I don't give her my laughter back. Yeah. She's putting laughter out there and I'm just, you know, I'm just blanking it. Now, I attribute that to her. Yeah, but it's you. It's your interpretation. It's yeah. It's exactly. You, and it, we, do, we do this all the time. We kind of treat our laughter towards people as being something to do with them. Yeah. Like, but it's actually it's us and our emotional response to them that we're picking up on. So laughter really is it's a good barometer of what, what your head thinks about others. Yes. Yes, I think so. 
Um, if I had a message from this whole yeah. thing, I would say, listen to your laughter, because actually very often it's telling you what you really think. Oh, yeah. And stuff you may not even have admitted to yourself, you're giving away with your laughter. That is and so great. Ways, you know, yeah. it's, it's a sign that you like someone as much as a sign that you dislike someone. That's true. Or if you're laughing too much, it's a sign you're trying to impress or get some buy-in. Yeah. It, yeah. What a beautiful thought, though, really. Oh, man. Professor Sophie Scott, great insight. Who'd have thunk it? Just about laughter, but listen to your laughter. It's got so much to teach us. We appreciate you, Sophie. Thank you, and keep up the great work. Keep uh, producing more of those YouTube videos as well. Um, we'll take a break, my friends. Speaking of laughter, come back, talk to those uh, crazy guys at BYU Sports Nation. That's up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. The legend of the phoenix, yeah. All ends with beginnings. Oh, it keeps the planet spinning. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You gotta love these guys. Pentatonics, they're the... No instruments here, just mouths. Speaking of mouths, Spencer Linton and Brian Logan are joining us from BYU Sports Nation... Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. It's actually a solo act right now. Is it? Uh, yeah, Brian Logan is not here. Michael Elisa is with is me today. Michael. But, but Michael came in with a full beard, and so he is currently <gasps> <He's> shaving. <laughs> shaving it off. <laughs> Poor guy. Come on, Michael. So, so it's just me in Studio B, well, keeping hey, it real, man. Hey, but you know what? Pentatonics is perfect for you. Well, I, actually, no, why? because well, and Jerem, because you guys always have all these sound effects. Yeah, Jerem more than me. With his, he has his bird calling noises. And yeah, what's with that? All sorts of stuff. But I love pentatonics. Aren't they great? They're amazing. But you, you, I guess. Okay, so you're the you're the performer. Let Jerem do some of the voices. <laughs> okay. Then then get Michael Elisa all shaved up. He's gonna look good. <laughs> then you yeah. got a band. Perfect. I'm just trying to give you some ideas. Michael would give us a shot. You know, yeah, Jeremy and I, we're just in the background, but if we had Michael, Lisa, and Brian Logan for that matter, then, oh, yeah. then we'd have a real shot. <laughs> then you guys would look hot. <laughs> hey, um, here is I was thinking about you guys <laughs> the other day uh, when I was reading a story about some Florida twins. You Did think you, about us a lot. I know. I do you guys do you guys think about me that much? Uh, well, not... I mean, if you if you want me to answer that question, yes, to make you feel better, then yes. Wow, that felt great. Um, <laughs> that was so rude. Um, Florida twins arrested for throwing bricks at each other. What in the world? I know. A Florida judge may throw the book at twin brothers accused of throwing bricks at each other. What the, in... <sighs> the Remilius brothers, by the way, both of them, 52. <laughs> they were arrested Tuesday night after the two started arguing in their front yard. One of them then couldn't take it anymore, threw a brick and cut the leg of another one. Then that ticked that one off, and then Twin B threw it back at Twin A. Boom, right in the right in the eye. Oh, cut his eye. But we honestly felt really good about this story because no one pulled a gun. <laughs> yeah, well, if it's just if that's bricks, case, you know, bricks, bricks over guns, absolutely every time. Bricks are the oldest fighting method. Only thing older are rocks. Or how about fists? Just duke it out, man. Oh, fists! Fists are so violent. <laughs> Bricks at least demand some skill. <laughs> some accuracy. You got, you got to throw a brick. Have you ever thrown a brick? It's not uh, easy. 
I don't know that I have. Maybe when I'm like doing some some sort of demo project, like way back in the day, but not anymore. Yeah, I haven't thrown a brick because in a it while. always seems like on the show you and Jerem start fighting, and I don't know what to do. So next time I'm just going to throw a brick. I'm going to give you each a brick. You're going to walk 15 steps from each other, and you got one throw. That will be our final show. <laughs> the final, the grand finale show. Yeah. How great would that be? Hey, what are you? Uh, not, what are you going to talk about on your show today? I mean, uh, assuming that Michael gets. His yeah, shave we're on. hoping that the, the uh, beard is coming off. <laughs> he he brought his shaving cream and his shaver, and he showed up. And I, I said that might take a little while, but good luck uh, with that. Was it yeah. a big beard? Uh well, not big per se, but healthy. You it, was, know? it was a strong beard. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm actually sad to see it go because it looked good. Did but, it? You know, you know, TV. Yeah, what, what do you do? Do it for BYU TV. That's right. Okay, so over the weekend, Scout.com. Yes. Um, they're one of many notable national publications that preview college football. They released their 2015 preview on BYU football, along with many other teams. In that article, though, I mean, just some statements that made me scoff, downright scoff. What? First of all, and I quote, So with no conference championship to play for, one loss makes it tough to shoot for the Stars, and two losses means the season is effectively over. Wow. End quote. Yeah. That made you scoff. And I look at the schedule in 2015, and I'm thinking, so you're telling me that if BYU loses two games, the season is effectively over? Now, the underlying message there in that article is, it's a New Year's Six bowl game for BYU or bust. Oh, wow. Come on. Which is just, I mean, we've discussed a number of times, Jeremy and you and I, yeah. managing expectations is a major key to happiness. Exactly. And it's not, it's, I think scout.com, they're off on this one. And I didn't even know the Boy Scouts of America were in on this kind of stuff, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Okay, so they're saying, essentially, if BYU goes 10-2 and two in the regular season Too bad. against the toughest schedule in school history. Blew it. It's a bust. Right. Huh? Come on. Yeah, it's just lunacy. It is. But it's a national perspective, and so we're going to bring it up. Like, if that guy's thinking it, there are other national guys thinking it most likely. Or are they just trying to create the impossible? I don't know. I don't know. That just seems, in your words, ludicrous. Well, I mean, that that got us thinking, though, because I put it out there last night on Twitter, and I got some responses back from some BYU fans that said, why isn't it New Year's Six or Bust? I'm just huh. thinking, where are my blue goggles so I can chuck them at you? Forget <laughs> a brick. Let me throw my blue goggles at you. So everyone's getting on board. Not everyone, but a lot of people are arguing this, that we well, should be dominating. Both sides. Yeah. You know, that like, there, and there's a difference between hope and expectations. Hope is BYU goes 13-0, and college sure. football playoff, national championship. Woo! Yeah, they got to awesome. deal with us. Right. Expectations are way different. Sure. And so that is our discussion today. That's great. Is is it New Year's Six or bust for BYU fans? Like, what do you really think? That's great. In independence, what what uh, what do you think? My knee jerk reaction to all of this is it's absurd. Uh, but for me, it's it's the next step. And some people are saying, well, the only thing that BYU plays for is a New Year's Six bowl game because we don't have a conference to play in. And I disagree wholeheartedly. Bronco Mendenhall has three pillars: ten wins, a national ranking at the end of the season. And a bowl game win. I think that's the go. next step. BYU hasn't done that in that's four great. years. And if you could do that consistently, then... Then then, then let's talk New Year's right, Six. exactly. If that's not working to move the the mark, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's kind of so. like Bronco knows. 
Of course he knows. Why do? Why? Yes. Come on. <laughs> I mean, the over under in Vegas for BYU this season in terms of wins eight and a half. Really? Yeah. Which some people think is high. Yeah. We. We. There's no respect. Come on. So I mean, you know, a bust if you don't make it in your six when the when the eight and a half in Vegas is the expected total. Come on. Man. Hey, I'm happy to report a clean-shaven Michael Lisa has oh, just good. entered good. the studio. Oh, good. I took before and after pics. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to tweet out before and after pics. This is great. And, and again, he did it for the team. He did it for the team. He Jerem shaved team. his head. Michael shaved his face. He was looking really good. I was and, sad to see it go, but, you know. And Spencer, you shaved your back, right? Uh, well, I think this conversation has ended. I think we're done. Okay, hey, uh, now that he's clean-shaven, get to work, and good luck on your show today. We will do that. Thank you, Dr. Matt. Thanks, guys. Take care. See you, Michael. Good shavings. That's great. Wow. See, James, we never make you shave to come on the radio. That's the beauty of radio. But you should. You yeah. look You look scrappy. Well, it's, it's good to know that nobody can see me. <laughs> Ever since you got married... You dress nicer, you smell fantastic, but you got a lot of facial hair. What's that about? It's the years showing on my face. It's uh Yeah. Wow, it's it's tough being a married man. It's there's so much to do. <laughs> there's so much to do. You just like sleeping in. I <laughs> well, understand. Tomorrow is our one month not anniversary, month anniversary. So it's you've been married a a twelfth of a year. Yeah. So what are you gonna do to celebrate? Anniversary. Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know, actually. We'll I do see. something big. It's going to be huge. You know you have a lot of money because you've saved all the – the. you've taken back your five toasters. and So take some of that cash. Take her somewhere nice, maybe in and out burger. Yeah, a little upscale. Go animal fries. Yep, yep. Take some, get something from the secret menu. <laughs> yeah, can you hand me the secret menu for my wife? Yeah. We're celebrating our one-twelfth of a year anniversary. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a really big deal. Well, congrats, I guess. I mean, I don't know what you say. What do you get uh, your wife on the one-twelfth of a year anniversary? Um, I mean, is it like – it's not the silver anniversary. I guess it is the animal fry anniversary. Maybe like some really low carrot of a precious metal. Maybe like a semi-precious metal. Maybe – is aluminum – Aluminium? Aluminium. Yes. That makes it sound more fancy. <laughs> it totally does. I get my wife some aluminium. I've got just give her a can of aluminium with a beverage in it. <laughs> it's the it's the gift from heaven. Hey, can you imagine uh ninety two ninety two year old Harriet Thompson? Here's our hero. Hero of the day. We always like to end with a hero story. And ninety two year old Harriet Thompson, she became the oldest woman to finish a marathon. 92 years old. She's a cancer survivor, and she has rocked her way into the record books, folks, becoming the oldest woman to finish a marathon. Harriet Thompson of Charlotte, North Carolina, completed Sunday's Rock and Roll Marathon in San Diego in little more than seven hours and 24 minutes. Faster than I would have ever been able to do it. Uh, The marathon spokesman, Dan Cruz, says she looks strong at the finish. Thompson is a two-time cancer survivor who has also dealt with the loss of her husband and a staph infection in her legs while training for this year's race. 
So she's fought it all. By the way, plus just at 92, she's outlived most of her friends probably and family. So think of how many people she's lost in her life. This is her 16th time running the marathon. And the last year she set a record when she finished the race in seven hours uh, and seven minutes and or and seven minutes and 42 seconds, beating the previous record for a woman 90 or older. That's amazing. Um, she beat the record, by the way, by an hour and a half. That's great. She's a classically trained pianist who who played three times at Carnegie Hall. And Thompson says that mentally she just plays the old piano pieces in her in her head while she's running, and that helps her get through the twenty six point two miles. She said to her to the uh, journalist, "I don't think of myself being that unusual. I have a lot of people saying what an inspiration I am. That's nice to hear. Good for something at this age." The oldest woman to previously complete a marathon was Gladys Burrill, who at 92 years and 19 days old when she finished the 2010 Honolulu Marathon. So congratulations to you, Harriet. Uh, and again, you're our, you're our hero. Hero simply because you're – look at you. You're overcoming all the challenges of this year and still taking on the marathon. Man, I hope to be uh, – that in, in that great a shape uh, when I'm 92. I hope to make it to 92. My everybody else is like, yeah, I don't know that I want to live that old. I do because I want payback. I'm gonna make my kids pay and push me around everywhere. I'm gonna have them push me on a marathon, 26.2 miles. I won't be running it, but I be I will be pushed. Hey, folks, that's the show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools. Remember, trying to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care. We'll talk then. <laughs> 